The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. So, um, over the last couple of years, I've uh, really gotten into hunting. Uh, I went on my first hunting trip with Steve Rinella and uh, started watching a lot of hunting TV shows. Well, I've kind of always watched a lot of them, but your show really stood out. And this is a show, uh, you guys on the Outdoor Channel? Sports? Outdoor Channel. Outdoor yeah. Channel. Outdoor Channel, it's called um, Solo yeah. Hunter. And you go out there, you and uh, I've seen the ones with Remy Warren as well, mm-hmm. and by yourself, just bring cameras, go to these remote locations, hike in, set up the cameras and you're using your own cameras you're like setting up the shots while you're aiming like you're getting ready to shoot the animals and you're setting everything like you've got like crank little little handheld things here and gopros and it's got to make it very difficult yeah it's annoying (laughs) it's a pain to not just get out there and and you know hunting is difficult enough creeping up on animals stalking getting into position is difficult enough but I would imagine that being your own cameraman makes it, I mean, what's the, 50, 50% harder, 100% harder? Uh, you know, the hunting part of it is the same. You're still hunting, and actually it makes me a better hunter because I find that I'm a lot more uh, patient and a lot more relaxed about it and more deliberate in my hunting. So it's not just like, oh, I got a rifle, like all I got to do is get within 400 yards. It's like, no, I got a rifle and I got a camera and I got this. So I feel like I hunt better. But the actual success rate of killing and getting it on film and that kind of thing, it's it's a lot harder. Yeah. Is it like, would you say like you're like half as successful this way? No, I mean, no, I don't think it's affected my success rate on on actually harvesting an animal, but it just makes it more difficult. It makes it to more do. difficult to do, and it's 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 it's. Uh, it's a, it's a hassle. It's not a hassle. I mean, it's what I do, but it's like, it's hard. It, yeah. it makes it to where it's not just a hunt anymore. It's a hunt that I'm trying to document. And then now when you, when you look at it and you're trying to actually produce something good that people are going to want to watch instead of, instead of whatever, then you're putting more thought into producing it than you are the hunting part of it. And then it's like, well, crap, now I'm not a very good hunter because I'm a good producer. So you have this constant dilemma. You can tell I'm already tore up about it, but it's like, you have this constant back and forth between yourself. It's like, Screw it. Today, I'm just going to hunt, man. I'm not going to touch a camera. And then halfway through the day, I'm like miserable because nothing's going on. I'm like, I don't even have anything to show for it. Well, it's stupid. Turn on the cameras. You'll have something to show for it. So Right. Do you, um, it's kind of, it's a tricky way to, to, to do a television show. And you do all the producing yourself? You, do, do you do all the film editing a lot of jazz? Yeah, I do all the editing. That's just kind of kind of my thing for it. And I like I like it because... I can get more emotionally invested into it, and I feel like it can come out different. But I'm I'm not the best editor out there. I'm just the one that happens to edit that show because I'm a low budget guy. And when I started out, it was, I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even ready. It wasn't time yet. You know, How long I, have you been doing it now? So Solo Hunter went to air in October of 2010, but I had done TV since 2004 in a in kind of random ways in that. But we had the guys that I was partners with. We hired a producer that was doing all the editing. And me and Jeff, we'd be in the studio just all day and all night, just hammering out with this with this producer. And at the end of the day, we weren't 100% happy with what we were getting. So when we split up and I went my own route, I was like, you know what? The only way I'm going to do this and make money and uh, and do it right is I got to learn editing. So I bought, I mean, I bought a computer and just totally self-taught myself how to edit. And I started cranking out some just some videos online and everything. And that's kind of how I got into it and got more involved into the TV side of it. But so you'd use like Final Cut Pro or something Final like Cut. that? Yeah, in fact, I'm, today I'm still using the same exact system that I bought 10 years ago, that same exact system. 
Really? Nothing's changed. Just a few updates. That's it. Yeah, I'm using Final Cut 7. You know, old school. I don't know what but the it, numbers it are up to now. Well, it's like Pro X or something. And Mark yeah. here uses Adobe or whatever. But to me, it's like the editing software in that 10-year-old state is way more powerful than my brain is to keep up with it anyway. So it's like all I got to do is link video together and slap some music to it, and I got a TV show. Yeah, it's it's funny when you look back at computers that were you know five, six, seven years ago. They were incredibly powerful and much more powerful yeah. than for you know the applications that most people use them for. I mean, most people have way overpowered computers. They're yeah. just going online, you yeah. know, and clicking on links and stuff. And they have these ridiculous computers that can edit, and crunch video, and you know, do all kinds of massive calculations, and they just never use it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, do I have the best TV show on the network? No. Do I have the worst one? No. Do I have one that I really like and enjoy and love? Heck yeah. It's my favorite. Really one of my favorites to watch. My favorite oh, to watch you. is Jim Shockey's Uncharted, <laughs> that new show that he does. Oh, bores the hell out of me. Does it? <laughs> it? You know, I love it for what it is. I don't think it was intended to be a quote-unquote hunting show. No, it's not. It's like but, a cultural show. Yeah, Branlin is probably one of the best producers that you'll ever find. You know, I mean, it's, it's extremely, extremely well produced. And uh, I think that's good. But I also think that a lot of producers, especially young producers coming into the industry, are, are kind of kind of falling into the game where they feel like a show has to be so well produced to be successful. No, it doesn't. You go out and kill something and you bring it home. These are hunting shows we're talking about. You know, they're adventure shows. They don't have to be the best produced shows. Not every shot has to be on a jib or on a slider or, mm -hmm. you know, a rack focus or all that kind of thing. Capture the action and the entertainment. And that's where a lot of these productions miss out. But Uncharted is, is incredible from a production standpoint and from a, like, you know, almost almost like a modern doc, yeah. a modern documentary type of feel to well, it. Well, if you haven't seen it, Jim Shockey is this guy who's been around forever, this real kind of legendary, the great white hunter from, uh, from uh, B.C., from British Columbia. And he, he goes all over the world, like, I mean, literally all over the world. It's like these really remote places in Pakistan. Yeah, he's the man. He's to hunt goats you've never <laughs> heard of. These weird fucking funky looking goats. And the thing of it is, is like, you know, he's got the, he's got the life to back it up. I and mean, you look back beyond television before he started doing television, the man lived that lifestyle. Yeah. Like he had it. I mean, he's one of the true, true people that actually grew up in hunting environment, in not just hunting, but harsh, harsh country, you know, doing it the right way and, and building an outfitting business. And it just happened to evolve into television career. You know, I yeah. remember watching him on Realtree when he would do the little segment, you know, in the, in the middle, I think it was Realtree, I don't know, that's a long time ago, but he's really, he's really, you know, deserved and earned where he's at and put himself there. Yeah, he's, he's coming he's, on in, uh, sometime in November, we're working it out now, but cool. he, um, he, he does these shows that are almost like <clears throat> they're documentaries on the culture that he's going to as much as it is about the hunting. The people, he del delves in a lot to the people. I like Yeah. That. And uh, the way they capture, you know, just like some of those villages and the way people live, you know, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It really brings a reality. It's almost like a Nat Geo type of a feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm not interested in doing that though. No, you know, and, and <laughs> the hard thing that I would like to see, and I don't think it could ever happen, but like, can you imagine going to some of those places with somebody actually experiencing it? And that's the thing that the cameras can't show you. They can't show you the actual experience because inevitably the guy behind the camera or the producer is wanting to bring drama into it. Mm -hmm. They're wanting to bring something out. What, what's going to captivate the viewer? Well, I'm going to do this and this. And he may use a shot that the kid was doing dishes or something and use it in a scene where where something dramatic happened and the kid's crying because he was cutting onions or something. I mean, producers have a way of twisting things to make it look more right. more glorified and more glamorous than it might have actually been. Well, that's one of the things about hunting shows that hasn't really, it hasn't happened 
where it has with reality TV, a lot of these reality TV shows are the furthest thing from reality yeah. that you could ever imagine. Everything is completely scripted. It's calculated. Every event's calculated from the beginning to the end. They're, these shows are just, they're just drama shows, like bullshit, fake, fiction drama shows that they don't have a necessary, they don't have a script but they have an objective. Exactly. Like you and I are going, we're going to go buy Mexican food. And you're like, I fucking hate, but I hate Mexican yeah, food. And we have a conversation. Rounds, whatever, yeah. And then, you know, you go, we go to another place. Like, how about this place? Dude, I fucking hate Mexican food. <laughs> like, come on, man. And like, at the end, we wind up at a Taco Bell. And you're like, hey, this isn't bad. Like, that's a fucking reality yeah. show scenario. The, the best reality show would be filmed from a drone and the people wouldn't even actually know that it was there. That would be the ultimate reality show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I th they kind of try to do that with like a Big Brother type scenario, but everything changes once people know they're being filmed. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's just, they're just bad shows. Most of them are just really bad shows. Whereas like, one of the things I like about <clears throat> your show and Ranella's show and a lot of these hunting shows is they're willing to show failure too, mm -hmm. which is a big part of hunting. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a majority of hunting. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing something that's very difficult to do. You're going into a natural habitat that this animal lives in. You're trying to defy all of its, all of its natural instincts, its sense of smell, its incredible hearing, all these d different evolved instincts that they have to keep right. them alive, and you're trying to creep up on them, and you're filming the whole thing. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot, what a lot of people may not look at, you know, and I get it sometimes is like everything's wrapped around that, that moment of impact, that kill, you know, and especially when you're filming it by yourself, it's really hard to get that moment of impact and that moment of kill on there. But that's like one moment, you know, and it's, and it's like the most morbid moment of the entire, the entire episode or the entire five week long journey after that animal. But everybody focuses on that moment and it's mm -hmm. like, no, you know, there's, there's, 10 days of planning and preparation and hunting and actual stuff going on outside of that one little kill. You know? How did you get the idea to do this show? Why, why didn't you try to do a show? Did you ever try to do a show with a cameraman that comes with <clears throat> yeah, you? Yeah, I did. So I partnered with a guy in 2000, late 2004, so it was really kind of 2005, and we produced a show. on the sport was one of the first shows on the Sportsman Channel way back then, and that show's running today. You know, It's continuing on, and he's branched off, and he's got a couple of shows that he's doing. But when I left them, what shows and, that? Um, it's Buck Ventures. Buck Ventures is where I started, and now he's got Major League Bow Hunter, and he's partnered with Chipper Jones and that. You know, somebody with a lot deeper pockets than I have for sure. Chipper but, Jones was a baseball player, right? Yeah, I think that's what yeah. they tell me. No, yeah, yeah he was. Pull, pull this thing up to your face, so you yeah, have sorry. The same volume as me. There, Thanks. all right. These are diff tricky microphones. So, so you know, I moved out to Oklahoma. I mean, I when I did that, I when I do things, I like go balls in it's it's everything and so i sold my home moved my wife i had a one my boy was one year old at the time we moved to oklahoma we just lived just outside of uh oklahoma city in edmond and uh just partnered up and started the show loved it and um he you know everything was going good with it, it was 100 percent whitetail but it really wasn't my thing you know i'm i grew up in central idaho in the middle of nowhere and for me to transition my hunting style and what i grew up with to focus just strictly on whitetail it just didn't didn't fit what was your hunting style you <clears throat> I grew up, shoot, where I grew up in central Idaho, the nearest Walmart's 70 miles away. I mean, the population 101, you know, I mean, it's it's a small farming town in central Idaho. It's called the Lost River Valley. Um, I grew up right in Moore, went to school in Mackey and Arco. And and uh, so that that lifestyle and growing up on a farm was rugged just in and of itself. And so I don't know any anything any different. And I know, you know, I can go out the back door and I can be up on the mountains and just go forever i mean you could go until till forever till canada if you wanted to 
but it's, it's so just you were used well. to like going out mm-hmm. and hiking, going after yeah. these animals, stalking them. Yeah, mountains, western hunting. You know where it's you've got elk, you've got deer, bear, mountain lions. I mean, you've got everything. The whole western hunting, hunting whitetail is completely different. One, a whitetail deer might live in just a few square miles its entire life. You know, and you're hunting farmland predominantly or river bottoms, and so you're really you know, that's that's the most widely hunted game animal that there is, but it's like... It's almost like a farm animal. The adventure, the adventure starts and ends right here, mm-hmm. you know, within within 200 acres or whatever. Right. When I go on a hunt for elk, the adventure, there's there's miles, you know, right. hundreds of miles that, that a person can go on in the West. And when you get up on some of these peaks, and you, you may have experienced on some of the stuff in Alaska, but like you get up there and it's like, gosh, dang, there's a lot here, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so much country. And there's no limitation to how far you can go and what you do. So that's that's when I say my style, that's my style. Getting out remote and uh yeah, that's wild. way more fascinating to me to be in like completely wild environments like yeah. that. Like you said, standing on a peak looking out in Alaska and what you're seeing is just mountain ranges and just hill after hill after hill and valleys and just it looks endless. It yeah. looks endless and there's no one out there. And you're and looking straight ahead, you're not seeing any fucking people, you're seeing trees and there's some animals out there. Go find them. Yeah, yeah. And that's it, that's how I grew up. I mean, m- I would go out a lot of times during school, and I'd just go up, sleep on the mountain, come back, do chores, milk cows, go to school. You know, go to football practice, go home, do chores, go up on the mountain, sleep on the mountain, come back home. I mean, that was kind of how how my brothers and I grew up. And it, it's just, I mean, I just have a yearning for the wild. I mean, they're, they're some of the coolest experiences that I've had in life have been when I'm by myself and go and do something just so totally random that 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 nobody else would really even think about. I say shit, I shouldn't say nobody, but it's like, you know, in college, I'd drive home two hours to my folks' house, then I'd drive another hour up to the canyon. By the time I get to the trailhead, it's 11 o'clock at night, hike in for three or four hours, find somewhere to sleep, get up on top of the mountain, and I'm sitting there as as the sun's coming up. And three wolverines come up, you know, and circle the lake. And it's like back then, you know, in the in the 90s, there weren't wolverines in Idaho. There weren't supposed to be anyway. I mean, I was one of the very first or very few to actually see wild wolverines in Idaho. And it's like, had I not been there by myself experiencing that in that canyon, you know, if there's other people or, or other things, those wolverines might not have been as comfortable, you know. But because I was there by myself and I'm the only one there looking down over it, I had that experience. And there's... There's a lot of opportunities like that, that <clears throat> when you have someone else there, you're focused on the group, you know, mm-hmm. you're focused on your conversations, your buddies, your, your friends and everything. You're not, you're not really tuned in to what's around you. You're not tuned in to your surroundings. And so there's certain things that I think you miss out on when you've got other people there. And it's not that I don't enjoy that sometimes, but I feel like when I'm there, like there's a connection, you know, there's a connection to the land. There's a connection to the environment. And, uh, you know, you could bring all of it into it. If, if you're a, if you're a hippie, you know, tree hugger voodoo type of person, you can bring in the nature and the gods and all that kind of stuff into the whole element. But that really and truly is, is what it is, is you're out there with no one but yourself and God and his creation. I mean, that's it. It's all surrounding you. Yeah. And being like that deep in nature where you're actually a part of it because you're not, you're not talking to anyone. So there's no, there's no conversations going on. Plenty of conversations. They're just with myself. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't, there's nothing, no anchor that brings you back to civilization. You're just seeing wild shit. You're just seeing wild life. You're seeing animals that would exist that way, regardless of whether or not you're there or not. Yeah. And the sad part about it is, is the more the older I get and the more I live in the city and the more 
the more life evolves and gets busy and hectic. I mean, right now, right now, it just seems like it's a train ride, just straight up. I mean, things are things happen are happening fast, just like this opportunity here. The more the more those things happen, it's like the more desensitized I come to the natural experience. And so when I'm out there, I find myself checking where's my phone. You know, I wonder what emails I've got. I wonder who's called, and that really sucks because. I'm desensitized to the nature of man, you know, to what I grew up as, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. And that's, it's good in a way, but it's also bad. And so I, I like have taking the opportunity just like, you know, this week I was supposed to be up hunting in Idaho, but I had too much work to do. I had projects I had to, had to get done and it worked out great because it, it freed up our time where you and I could get together. But I know that Sunday, you know, as soon as I get out of church, I'm hauling butt up to Idaho and I'm going to start elk hunting for a week. So I'm going to have that, you know, eight to 10 days of solace to really get back into it. But then at the end of that trip, it's going to be like, I've got nine hours to drive home and think about getting back into the daily life, you know, to regular, regular world. Regular world. Um, do you do, do you have a regular job outside of this show? I don't. Show? This is you it. Don't? People think that I, that I hunt for a living or that the, it's all about the hunting and the show. The hunting is like 10% of my life, you know. Outside of that, I, I run my business. I've got products just like you do and, and I'm trying to grow, grow the business space. And this, this year I kind of took it upon myself that this is the year I wanted to grow my business. You know, I had the TV show established. I had, you know, you know, making a good living and everything, but this is the year that I wanted to take it another step and actually make, create a business of it. That's where I, I brought on Mark and we started producing another show on Sportsman Channel called Off Grid Hunter and, and experimenting with that. And now it's like, you know, I've got two other sponsors that have come to me and said, hey, you know, you're doing a good job with the productions. We've been thinking about X, Y, and Z. Would you be interested in producing producing our shows for us and doing uh. other things? So I'm now branching and trying to grow the production side of it, as well as solidify the brand of Solo. Well, you do uh, a good, you you do a really good job uh, producing the you. show yourself. The way it's edited, it, it's interesting. It's not just you know here's a, a video camera that I turned on when I walked up to the top of the hill, like yeah. Blair Witch style. Like you know, you cut in music and sound effects, and there's a lot of close ups. And I mean, Rem, not, Remy calls yeah. it the GoPro show. He's like, we're not the <laughs> GoPro show anymore. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely uh, edit things. Uh, really well and and that, that's a that's a big part of watching any kind of a show to to draw people in but in that show in particular you're, you're telling a story and your story is you know whatever animal you're chasing after wherever you're going you know you're entering into that environment and then you kind of like you're you're explaining your thoughts along the way like one of them i really liked was you alone um you were moose hunting in alaska and, uh, you know, you were, you, you know, stuck in the tent and it was raining outside. Yeah, see, and I had a guy with me. I mean, people need to know. I had a guy with me, and I said that right on the episode. There was another guy that had the tag, but, I mean, you're out there. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and but. because you're out there like that, because you're in this, like, intense, wild environment, you know, you get to... When you're when you're talking about it and when you're you know expressing yourself to the camera, you're getting this kind of insight of what it's like to actually be there. And for a lot of people, that's mm-hmm. the closest they're ever going to come to being out there in the wild bush of Alaska chasing right. after a moose. So it makes it it's there's like the solitude comes across on camera, and it, it's a it's an, an interesting element that you don't get on a lot of these shows because right. a lot of these shows it's an expedition. You got a couple cameramen, you got a guide, you got two hunters, you got all these people there. You got a, a fucking ATV. Everybody's going mm-hmm. out into the woods together it's a it's a journey you know Mm. but the solitude of you being alone in these remote environments and you know quite honestly dangerous environments Mm -hmm. 
especially like the Alaska one, because there's bears out there, grizzlies. Yeah. You're, you're packing a pistol <laughs> when you go to take a shit. You know, it's like it's it's, it's ironic. The you know the the worst the the most hair raising experiences I have had have have not even been Alaska. You know, it's been closer to home and that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, in Alaska, I got charged by a, bl- a black bear. I mean, it was was it a female? It had to have been because what happened is was. We got off the boat to set up to start calling for a moose and uh, doing some moose calling. And I was like, and it was raining real hard. And I'm like, you know what? I got to go back and get my camera just in case something happens. Or I had, I had to go back and get something. I don't remember what it was. So I walk back to the boat. And as I'm walking back, I hear some noise behind me. And as I turn, this bear's just coming. I mean, it's booking, hauling it just as fast as it, it could run. And all I did was just, just wheeled the camera and just yelled, bear, bear, as loud as I could. And the thing just skidded, stopped, and took off. <laughs> and as it turned around, I mean, I thought I saw another one in the back. So that's the only thing that, that I mean, it's the only thing it could have been was a, a bear hunting, which isn't going to happen. A bear's going to, whatever. So it had to have been a sow with some cubs or something on that. Yeah. But, I mean, really, at that instant, you're relying on luck. You know, you're relying on that bear to stop and turn around because all I had to at that time to protect myself was my voice, you know, by the time I would have got to my gun, the bear would have been on me and, and, you know, bears bite. And so things would have been pretty bad for, for a little while had that bear not turned around. And you were by yourself. No, I was, that was with, Ted, was, Ted was the there. Dude. Ted was, um, yeah, he was right in the, in the, in the general area. Cause we were both hunting moose together. Have you ever been out there by yourself and had a situation come up where you're like, fuck, I might, you yeah. know, I might not be able to get out of here, like being injured or, you know, fuck your knee up or anything like that. Yeah, I jacked up my knee pretty good in uh, in New Zealand when I was when I was went to New Zealand to hunt with Remy. Um, I had just killed my tar and was coming down off the mountain, and I mean I wasn't very far from the bottom, but I had stepped in this fern or something and just jacked my knee. And I remember falling and I kind of blacked out there for a minute. And as I'm laying there, I'm thinking just I'm just like please don't don't have blown my knee out, you know. And I just laid there for like 30, 40 minutes until kind of the throbbing and the pain kind of went away. And then I was able to get up and kind of walk it off. But that's, that's when it gets, you know, that's probably when it's the most dangerous is when you're hauling, you know, 100 plus pounds on your back and you're mm. coming down rough country because I'm not going to go back up there and pack my camp out. So you're going to load as much weight as you can on your bag. And it's stupid. It's, it, it, something could happen at any time. You know, I mean, a guy could step and roll his ankle. At any time, you know, it's just kind of by us being out there alone, it makes it that much more dangerous, I guess. Yeah. Stupid, really. People who have never um, gone hiking in these, like, remote areas, Mm -hmm. you know, like these, especially when you're going after these mountain animals, whether it's elk or something like that, they don't, they don't, they probably don't understand how treacherous some of the terrain is. Mm -hmm. And you add into that the fact that you've got a hundred pounds of meat packed onto your back and you're probably going to have to do it several times, especially if it's an elk. Yeah. Yeah, I laughed at my buddy. He killed a deer uh, last week, and he was posting these pictures on Instagram of the blisters on his feet and everything. He's like, I'm on my third trip back in to get my deer. And I'm like, hell with that, man. Just cut the thing up and put it all on your bag and come out once. You know, don't, How big was the deer? Uh, you know, a boned out, a boned out deer is going to be 90 pounds, you know, 90 to 100 pounds is all. But yeah. you've got your camera gear and, or you got your camping gear and that kind of stuff too. So that's where a deer, you know, a deer is a one trip one tripper for a guy yeah i've talked to people that like um Rinella's brother fucked his back up essentially for life really? trying to haul out moose yeah and now he has pack llamas yeah he has llamas that he brings with him <laughs> yeah my brother tried llamas for a while now i think he's got a goat no i think he got a horse now he had goats too he's like i can't just Rinella yeah. has these lot <laughs> his his brother has these llamas 
and they put them in a van and like the llamas like they fucking piss in the van mm. they're disgusting animals <laughs> but they're just hardy as shit it, the, he, you know he lives in montana and he's got yeah. them out there in montana they just you just tie them to a tree and leave them there and they're yeah. just it's freezing fucking cold out they just stand there they don't give a shit oh they probably they do they just can't say anything about it they probably yeah <laughs> but I'm they're, sure they're, they're super durable yeah and um the idea is you just got to make sure that you pack them evenly you know you can't have like 70 pounds off to the right and you know and 100 pounds off to the left it has to be mm -hmm. totally balanced out but once it's balanced out those fuckers can just go yeah yeah we grew up hunting with horses horses and mules mostly you know so i mean it's it's nice to have that ability to pack pack camp in and pack all the weight and i've thought about doing you know a pack trip solo a solo hunting pack trip but that's, I mean, you're bringing in a whole other element. You're bringing in an animal that you can't control. You can't control, you know, their moods or whatever. I mean, it's just that one more one more thing that could go wrong. I mean, all it takes is a horse to kick you in the side of the head and you're done. Or, you know, you, your horse kicks you in the knee or a horse takes a fall or any of those kinds of things. And that's, you know, it can mess it up in a hurry. So I've always, I've just, lately, I've just got to the point where I just want to throw crap in my backpack and go. Because, yeah, because I can control me. You know, I know where my brain is going to be, and I know where I'm stepping. But all that horse has to do is take take one wrong step, and eh, yeah, it's, it's odds are it's not going to happen. But, but I've had a, I've had a friend that was killed on a horse. You know, really, so, yeah. what happened? He was on a pack trip, and I remember I was I was working at the carpet store when I was when I was a kid, and uh, I was like, John, why don't you stay here? I got this job. I I need you to do. And he was a carpet installer. And I was one of the salesmen. I'm like, I got this job that I want you to, that I need you to do. He's like, nope, man, I'm going on this pack trip. I'm like, come on, it's only a two day job. He's like, no. And I remember him vividly saying, he's like, life's too short. He said, I'm, I've, I've promised myself no matter what, that money's not going to get in the way and I'm going to live my life. And that on that very trip, his horse, something spooked his horse and it came over on top of him <sighs> and the saddle horn ruptured his spleen. Oh. And uh, he went into the hospital. When they got back, he went into the hospital like 220 pounds. The next time I, you know, when he got out of the hospital, he was like 160 pounds or something. And it wasn't just a couple months later that he died from that because he had given his kidney to his son. Oh. And so his kidney and spleen and everything were, were jacked up and he lost his life, you know, from that event. That can happen. Wow. My brother, you know, a couple of years ago, horse came over on the top of him, crushed his pelvis. You know? Oh, geez. Stuff happens when you've got Christ. wild, when you've got animals, you know, I mean, stuff can happen, you know? Yeah. I have uh, friends that ride horses. They like, uh, my friend's wife, actually, she, she jumps horses. They they go to these fucking rings and they 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 get their horses to jump over logs and shit. Yeah, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why is that exciting? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, it's well, gotta be. I guess. I yeah. guess, but we used to see. We used to. My brothers and I. We had the reputation of breaking horses, so people would bring the wild mustangs that they'd catch off the desert and stuff. Which I know now, living in Nevada, they're not that wild. But they'd bring us these horses that they would adopt thinking that they would make them as kids' horses or something, and we'd have to break these horses. How do you catch them? I don't know how they caught them. I don't know. They just bring them to us in the trailer and we <laughs> smack them around a little bit and break them. I don't Can know. you break a wild horse, a real wild horse? We had all, I mean, we only had one that we really couldn't break, that we didn't break. So what did you do, eat it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't even remember what happened to that. One of them, the guy took back and it ended up getting away and they had to, they ended up shooting it, you know, somewhere because really? it got on, got out on, got on wild land. They ended up shooting that one. Why they sh shoot it? Because it got on wild I just, land. I don't think they could catch it. They couldn't catch it for a while. They tried to, what they tried to do is shoot it in the neck and hit that uh, tendon. So 
with horses, a lot of times, like Western reining horses and stuff, a lot of times they'll go in and snip a tendon in their neck to get them to keep their head level because it's, I guess it's better for the, the horse reins better and, and acts better and that, and it's not going to flip his head up and flail Whoa. its head. So they'll flip this tendon. So this horse, so the, the sharpshooter went in trying to shoot this horse in the, in the tendon in the back of the neck to kind of just break him down so they could catch this horse because it was a big uh, black and white Tabino stallion that they wanted to catch. And they, I think he just kind of missed and, and killed it. Yeah. What the fuck? A little bit of a. What kind of a sharpshooter does he think he is? I don't know. You he should have hired me. A moving <laughs> horse, and you're going to shoot it in a perfect spot on the I, neck. I can't imagine shooting a horse anyway. That's why when I see these guys going to Africa and shooting zebras and stuff, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I have such a love and a, and a passion for animals that I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. Well, we were. We were talking about that before the show, that it's a weird thing for people to hear when someone says they're a hunter, mm-hmm. but they love animals. Yeah. You know, like, I, I got this tweet the other day by this woman. Uh, she was, uh, someone tweeted me something, and she's tweeted, why would you talk to him? He kills bears for fun. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that, no, I don't kill, I've killed one bear. It wasn't for fun. I eat it. But did you have fun? I did. I enjoyed it. it, it I mean, I guess I kind of killed a bear for fun. And I you were, guess part but you were of it sad was for too, fun. right? Like well, there's a part of it. There's a m- remorse. Well, bears are pretty fucking cool. They're interesting. Yeah. They're interesting. And, uh, you know, I went with uh, Cameron Haynes. We we're mm-hmm. bow hunting in uh, Alberta. And if you've never been up there, first of all, they have to kill bears up there. Yeah. There's a lot of fucking bears up there. They, they estimate between three and eight per square mile. And uh, when you get up there, you realize that's true. Because like, mm-hmm. when you're sitting and you're waiting, they all of a sudden, within you know an hour or so, they just start showing up. One, two, three. I mean, we we saw as many six, seven bears at a time. It's fucking mm-hmm. crazy. And they're cannibalizing each other left yeah. and right. They're eating cubs. You have to kill the well, males. They're giving themselves diseases yeah. and all kinds of stuff if they overpopulate. Yeah, and they are overpopulated up there. You have to kill the boars. If you don't kill the boars, they just feast on babies. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's a just a numbers thing. They don't have anything to kill them. Nothing kills them. So if humans don't kill them, then their populations get out of control. Mm-hmm. They get, run into starvation issues. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen. And they taste good, yeah. you know, and uh, people are fucking weird, man. This, this whole hunting thing has really exposed me to a lot of very strange hypocrisies that people just accept. And one of them is this fucking guy came up to me at the airport wearing leather shoes. And he goes, man, I was really disappointed to find out that you killed a bear. I go, dude, you're wearing fucking leather shoes. Do you, those, are, those are leather. I go, do you eat meat? Yeah, somebody he goes, killed a cow for that. Exactly. He goes, I do eat meat, but I just think bears are different. I go, different how? Because they're not in your neighborhood? Like, what are you talking about? It's an animal. Do you understand that anything that a hunter kills lives an infinitely better life than anything you're buying at McDonald's, than anything you're wearing on your clothes, any, any shoes, any leather, any belt that you have? Those animals lived lives of unimaginable suffering for the most part. Those domesticated animals that are done... They're used for, you know, whatever. It's for clothing or for, you know, leather goods or couches or shit like that. Those fucking things live in pens and their lives from birth to death are just for utility. They're just, they serve a purpose. They're, they're, They're a commodity. When you're hunting, you're taking an animal that lives an entirely natural life. You dip into that natural world, harvest that animal, pull it out. And in my opinion, that's infinitely better. Infinitely better in every way. First of all, the animal, they're not going to live forever. It's not like you know, you're taking away an animal that was going to cure cancer if you kept it alive. 
You know, that animal was on its way to fucking building a rocket to go to the moon, and you stepped in and shot it. No, they're fucking bears, man. They're bears. They're eating each other's cubs, and it's really good meat, and it's good for you. And the, 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 the fact that people have a problem with hunters, but they don't have a problem with passing by every restaurant you drive down this street. Every restaurant is filled with meat. Every one of them. Every supermarket filled with meat. All these people, you half of them are driving cars with leather seats. Half of them are wearing leather shoes. Probably more than half. But yet, people have a problem with hunting. And it's this weird thing. Because they don't see the death of the animal that caused their cheeseburger. Because society is structured in a way that you can just, without participating in the animal's death at all, you can reap the benefits of it by just giving a little piece of paper and getting a cheeseburger, and that's your connection to it. You can eliminate some, yourself from some of the guilt because you yeah. didn't kill it, you know, and you didn't see it get killed. So, yeah. all, so therefore, it didn't happen. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, and... People that eat meat have said this to me, and I'm like, man, you got to rearrange the way you think. I mean, you should expose your. I'm, I, I've told several people that have a problem with it that eat meat. I'm like, you should expose yourself to the death of an animal just to decide whether or not you want to continue eating meat, because that was a concern when I went hunting for the first time. Like I had been fishing my whole life, so I've killed things before and eaten them, but I've never killed an animal. And I was like, man, a deer is a big, beautiful animal. Maybe that's going to freak me out. Maybe I'm not going to like it. Maybe I'll be a vegetarian after that. I was like, uh, I was really wondering what it was yeah. going to be like. The exact opposite happened. Didn't bother me at all. I mean, I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it was there was a, a moment of sadness that this animal died, but the d food was delicious. The meat was delicious. The, the the experience was exhilarating. It was exciting. It was fun. It was wild. It was enriching, and it's the the healthiest meat you can get. And I think the most ethical way to acquire it. I mean, you're, you're responsible for what you're eating. And there's something super satisfying about that. Whenever I, um, not all the time, but a lot of times when I, uh, I tweet photos of like wild game that I cook. Mm -hmm. And when I'm like out there and I'm grilling something that I killed and I chopped up and I'm putting it on the grill and then I'm eating it, like it's just such a different experience. Like the, the feeling of it is so much better than just getting a steak from the grocery store, throwing it on the grill and eating it. There's right. nothing there with that. Yeah, and pound for pound it's it's a hell of a lot more expensive, but that's not you know, that's not what it's that's not what it's about. And and it's one of those things where it's like super super hard to explain to people when they're like, "Well, why do you hunt?" And even my wife, you know, she's she's not into hunting, she never wants to be. She doesn't understand how I can love animals so much and yet go out and kill them and all that. But it's one of those things that there's so many different facets that you can go down while we're doing it for food, we're doing it for this, we're doing it for population control, we're doing it for, you know, whatever, for sport, which I don't, I don't look at hunting as a sport, you know, per se, but there's a lot of different things, elements that you can bring into it to explain to somebody. And, and at the end of the day, I look at it, I'm like, I don't know why I do. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a man, you know, like I, I posted a, a picture the other day on, on Instagram that's like, a lot of these hunting groups classify themselves as predators or as, you know, addicts or junkies or, you know, I'm an antler junkie or I'm a this or I'm a that. And it's like, I'm a man, you know, God put man on this earth to till and to take care of it. And he gave us sustenance and he gave us an ability to sustain not only ourselves, but to grow population. You know, that's what, that's what Adam and Eve were, were there. If you're a religious person or whatever, but if you really believe Adam if and Eve you, were really the only two people story. that yeah, everybody yeah. came from, which is pretty fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, I just happen to be a believer in Adam and Eve. But anyway. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Do you believe that there was two people and that everybody came from those two people? In a way, yeah. Really? I, mean, I think there's. I think that I definitely 
think that there's a lot to specific religions that are out there that there's pieces there that you know if you follow the bible word for word for what it says like literally there's a lot of stuff that's there's no way i mean it's like no those are probably made up stories where but there's other things that i you know i'm a religious person and i believe in god and and uh i think there's a lot of things that people have twisted no doubt no doubt right but but i'm a believer there's something to all religions that um i think there's like there's some universal truths and there's universal truths about treating people certain ways and there's universal truths about seeking the good in life and you know and looking out for your brothers and mm-hmm. sisters and i think all of that came from understanding that people developed over time wisdom that people developed over time and then this 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 connecting to what is universally good about the world right with about ver- life with few exceptions people generally and there's there are exceptions that people generally want to do good people generally want to be happy you yeah. know they generally understand consequence they understand right and wrong there are exceptions you know people mm-hmm. who just don't understand and, don't get, and then there's people that have callous themselves one way or the other either they they toe the line 100% religious and everything is, is literal, or they go the other direction. You know? Yeah, the uh, problem with the literal translations <clears throat> is that the, the, it wasn't English. You know, I mean, we're, we still, they're, they're still working on the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the oldest version of the Bible, which is in Aramaic, and it's on animal skins. And they, have to, they literally have to do DNA analysis on the animal skins to make sure that when they line up the pieces, they're trying to piece them all together, that it's the right animal. Mm-hmm. Like, like the way they do the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, have you ever paid attention to it? No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, so I, I'm one of those that's like, I don't know, it's like... I don't know. Some of those things are so hard to even get into. Right, know, but if you like, want to eh. be a religious person, that's the source of it. That's the source of almost all biblical stories is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And um, what's what's really unique about it is that it was found in Qumran, I think, in the 1940s. They found these um, these clay pots, and inside these clay pots were essentially these animal skins that had been wrapped up in you know these these cylinders and these like wrapped up in rolls and they had to unravel them and a lot of them were broken up and so the broken up ones the way they you know do the DNA test they do a DNA test so they say okay well all animal all uh, the pieces from this animal we'll put over here mm. all the pieces from that animal we're assuming that's a different piece of skin we'll put that over here and um, then they have to like try to piece it together like this ancient puzzle. Then they have to take Aramaic and translate it into English. And the, that's even older than the ancient Hebrew version of the Bible. The ancient Hebrew, the weirdest thing about the ancient Hebrew version is that apparently ancient Hebrew didn't have numbers. So letters were also numbers. So the letter A was also the number one. And like if I said Tim Burnett, you, there's numbers to your name. Mm. That like it also it counts in the translation not to translation but what the meaning of the word like the word love and the word God have the same numerical value in ancient Hebrew and this is on purpose it's like things have like value and the sentences have like a numerical value to them that aren't our brains the way we think the way we talk because we have numbers separate from words I don't think we totally grasp what a lot of the meaning of a lot of the sentences were. Then on top of that, like a lot of those words in ancient Hebrew, there's something like 25% of them, they still don't even know what the fuck it was. There's a massive amount of, of interpretation that uh, they have to figure out. Then they take that and take it from there and translate it to Greek and to Latin and then from that to English. So when you're reading about Adam and Eve, 
who the fuck knows what the original meaning was? What were they trying to say? The original human beings that God created or that the universe bestowed upon the earth? What what was that? What did, what do did they really mean that it was just two people? It's so hard to tell. And when you add in all the other fuckery, uh, the ones where you know that somebody had a grip on it. Somebody, mm -hmm. we know about Constantine and the bishops and how they, they rewrote the, the New Testament and they left out a bunch of shit. Like they, had, they chose what was going to be in the Bible or not. A bunch of people chose what was going to be the word of God. People that had no contact with God. It's not like God came down and he gave them a fucking to-do list, like get all this shit done, and then I'll I'll double check your work and then I'll be back. No, there was <laughs> they decided. So I'm not opposed to the concept of God, and I'm I'm not an anti-religious person at all. Um, I think religion's done a lot of good. I think religion is a, a good foundation for a lot of people to develop morals and ethics. And I just I, whenever anybody wants to talk about like literal translations of stuff, I'm like and. I always want to know, like, how much did you look into it? Mm -hmm. Like, how when you say literal translation, like, did you did you go to the actual source of those stories? Because you got to go to the fucking the Epic of Gilgamesh if you want to really know the Noah's Ark story. That's the original version of it, six thousand years old. I mean, it's 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 written with these little lines and shit, mm -hmm. like on clay tablets. Like, that's the oldest version of that story. Probably based on some real shit that happened. Probably based on real floods. Yeah, my brother, he just he was telling me the other day, he watched that Noah movie. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, he's like, man, that was the worst. That wasn't even so close. But then he's like, well, there were giants in the Bible, so maybe... maybe." And I haven't seen the movie, so I don't have a clue. But he's like, yeah, it was so weird and everything, but... Yeah, yeah. It's the problem yeah. is people are full of shit. All I know is I guarantee that if there was a that that Noah, he probably found a chicken and he and it, he probably ended up eating it once sometime. And he's like, yeah, that tastes good. You know, I'm gonna eat chicken and I'm gonna raise chickens and then there's gonna be more chickens. And then he's like, well, if a chicken tastes good, then this sheep over here's got to taste good. You know, and so it just continued on. You know, well, so. how the fuck did all the animals get to him? That's yeah, the big one. Matter. They have to it walk there from all over the Live earth. Living the now, Rogan. <laughs> How convenient. No, that, that's one thing that's kind of cool about your podcast is the ones that I listen to and everything. It's like what I like about you is, is when you bring in different hosts and different guests, a lot of them have completely opposite backgrounds of what I have and probably from what you have too. But I like that you're fascinated by a lot of different things and that you take yourself and just like the you're saying there, the research is you'll immerse yourself into really knowing and finding something out. And uh, you find a lot of different things fascinating. And one thing that's really cool when you're talking about the hunting and when you were first, when you first did a, a podcast with Ranella, and then you kind of were educating yourself along the way as you got into the hunting part of it, it was almost like it's. And I don't know if you've gone back and listened to any of your old podcasts when when you did those, but it's like it was like a little kid, you know, just learning something <laughs> new. And I'm yeah. like, that's pretty cool, you know, because here you have a, you know a grown man asking questions that my ten year old's asking me, you know, <laughs> Daddy, why are you doing this or this or that? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, uh, ask Rogan, you know. <laughs> I'm like that with you though. <laughs> yeah. Mark's like, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's cool to see. And that's one of the questions that I had for you is like, well, what got you into hunting? Why did you want to start hunting? Well, my wife would be best able to answer that because she's been mocking me for watching Ted Nugent's Spirit of the Wild for the past, I'm, like, I mock you for watching 11, Ted 12 plus years. <laughs> I watch it for a lot of reasons. No, one of it, one of it is because it is fucking unbelievably hokey. <laughs> I mean, he's just a hokey dude. He's a great, he's a a master showman, you know. And if you ever seen Ted Nugent play guitar, mm -hmm. you ever seen his band, he's a master showman, and he uses a lot of that showmanship on his show. And you know, some of it is like 
really ridiculous. You know, some of it is like re- very repetitive and very over the top. But I was fascinated by his promotion of this lifestyle, this hunting mm-hmm. lifestyle. You know, he has a at the time he didn't have the place in Texas. He had his place in Michigan as a high fence operation, and he would just kind of go out into I don't know any hundreds of acres he has, set up tree stands and wait for deer and shoot them, and that's all the meat that he ate. Right. He donated it to hunters for the homeless and hunters for the hungry or whatever it is. And, you know, and it really constantly promoted how healthy the lifestyle is, how healthy the meat is, and how this is like, this is about sustainability. This is about these animals are providing him with sustenance. And in turn, he is providing, um, he, he puts up food plots, he's planting trees, like his whole thing is, it's very balanced in a, in a way that a lot of people who eat organic food that they buy at Whole Foods and they think they're being all earthy. Yeah, you're you're my not wife, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mine too. You're not you're not really balanced. Like Ted Nugent living in Michigan is more balanced than you. I know you don't think that, but that's the reality. The reality for a lot of people that go to the grocery store and pick up their organic food is like, man, you don't know how many people were involved in the creating of that food, the, what 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 was put in the soil, you know, for it's organic, you know, there's no pesticides allegedly, but it's organic because some inspectors stamped it to say yeah. that it is organic okay you don't use this pesticide but you use this chemical so but it's okay it's organic yeah the know? word organic is a weird word too it's it's too open-ended i, too I don't marketed yeah i don't i don't know the the, the the exact definition of organic groceries are but there's a difference between groceries that you buy and groceries that you grow and mm-hmm. i grow a lot of vegetables now and i'm i've been doing that over the last uh, say year and a half two years and again it's something super fucking satisfying mm-hmm. about plucking a tomato slicing it up and eating it and cooking you know putting it in a salad tomato that you grew you put that seed in there you watered it it grew you plucked it it's a, the whole cycle the whole mm-hmm. cycle comes together so I started watching that show, <laughs> and um, from then, I just said, God, one of these days, I want to fucking go hunting, hmm. and then I started watching Ronella's show. I was watching all kinds of hunting shows for like a, d- a decade before really? I ever went hunting. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. People would come over to my house and look at my DVR, and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> DVR, You're morbid. You got this weird, twisted- Yeah, it's when animals attack, <laughs> kickboxing, MMA, hunting shows. They're like, what the fuck Spirit is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's uh, how I got into it. So until I met Ranella, I never actually went hunting. Right. You now, know, the hunt you did with him, was it Alaska or something? A the caribou first hunt one, or something? No, the first one was uh, mule deer in Montana. Oh, gotcha. We went um, to um, the, uh, the Missouri River. We did a float trip. It was really fun. I remember seeing something on the Sportsman Channel was touting the crap out of that. They're like, meat eater. You know, Joe Rogan goes on meat eater, does this. And I'm like... Who's Joe Rogan? <laughs> I don't. I know who Meat Eater is, but I didn't know who Joe Rogan was. I didn't know what the big deal about it was. And then I watched the episode. I'm like, yeah, that guy seems pretty funny, you know, whatever. And then it wasn't until like Mark when, I mean, this wasn't very long ago. I'll be, I'll admit, I haven't, I haven't. And I'm like, I gotta get to know more of this Joe Rogan because he's getting into hunting. You know, he's doing stuff with Ranella. Now all of a sudden, shoot, he's doing a podcast with Cam. And it's like, okay, I gotta get get to know this a little bit more. And because I'll be honest, I was like, Rogan, he could have been jungle or a acrobat as far as I knew. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. No idea. You're totally immersed in the hunting world. Well, that's, your and world? that's what's funny, too. You you asked me the last time I watched a Meat Eater episode two years ago, year and a half ago. I don't know. I've, I just I've watched one episode of Uncharted. You know, I, I just don't watch the, the shows anymore because 
I don't know. I'm making them, I guess. Yeah, well, you're but probably I, I so fucking them. busy, too. Yeah, it's not that I'm that busy. I mean, I, I definitely am busy, but I have my home life, too. You know, I spend a lot of time at home, but I just don't spend it watching TV anymore. I used to a lot. I used to, I mean, when I first started producing television, I would watch all the top-rated shows. I'm like, I want to know what Waddell's doing. I want to know what Lee and Tiffany, I want to know what all these people are doing, and I'm going to do it because it's successful. Right. It's a format. And then I started solo, and it was like, all everything went out the window. It's like you know what? I'm going to do everything these people don't do because mm. I'm sick of seeing the exact same thing every time. And and this conversations. I had a conversation with a big sponsor the other day because they're wanting to produce a TV show, and we had a big conference call, and everybody was talking about all the things they hate about television and things that they like about television. And a lot of these different shows came up, and without a doubt, they're all like, "We hate how hokey it is. We hate how overproduced it is, and this and that and that." And but at the end of the day, something's got to die, you know. And it's like. Everything is the same. The, mm-hmm. the comments that you get from people is all the hunting shows are the same, you know? And so to do something different is really hard. Be- well, there are a lot of them that are the same. There's so many shows out there right now because of the networks that are, that are available that there's a lot of shows that are different. A lot of shows that, that, that you know, have Heart- their own Heartland Bowhunter is pretty different. Yeah, there's shows that have their own brand. You know, a lot of people emulate and try to copy what, what Heartland Bowhunter started and what mm-hmm. they've done. And so you're starting to see a lot of that imagery and that type of shooting into different productions and i you know i i'll I'll be admit i fall into a lot of that too where it's like man i want to do a shot that looks like that but Mm -hmm. i want to do it my way right for ours for solo what what i think makes it unique is the fact that no matter how we film it it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day we're one man out there we're trying to kill an animal we're going to kill it we're going to bring it home you know and we're just trying to document that adventure i think by doing it by ourselves and having that relationship with the camera where everything seems to be so close up and like it's like i'm talking to you you know mm-hmm. you're, you're watching i'm trying to talk to the viewer and communicate that and that's really hard to do because sometimes you want to just reenact and restate what's happening or what's going on or what you're going to do mm-hmm. But what, what Mark and I are working on with, with some of these other projects and what we're going to try to bring into solo is more of that, uh, more of that what's going on up here, you know, what's going on in my head more so than what's going on that, that you're seeing. People want to know more what I'm thinking while I'm doing certain things than actually what I'm doing, I, I think. And so that's an element from a, as a producer to try to bring into it to where if people really knew what goes on in my head while I'm up on the mountain, I think they'd be shocked because it's not. You know, it's not all, it's not all just complete focus on, on hiking and hunting and killing. You know, there's a lot of different things that go on. Meaning that like you start thinking about your family, you start thinking about your life, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that, and it's like, you know, I may, I may be sitting there one time and I may be thinking, you know, I'm going home. I've been up here for four days. I haven't seen a, a damn antlered antler, antlered animal for the last four days. I'm going home. But you have this, you know, this all this interaction that goes on in my head is like the guilt. Okay. If I go home, I've just wasted four days that I've got here that I should have been here to potentially get an episode, you know, or to potentially harvest an animal, bring it home and to eat it. You know, I'm, I'm wasting that. Mm -hmm. If I go home now, I'm a quitter. If I stay, stick it out, I'm stupid because I'm not going to find any animals or whatever. So there's just, just that constant, because when you're by yourself, there's nobody to talk you into things and there's nobody to talk you out of things. So when you make a decision, it's yours and you got to live with it. You got to do it. You know, so if I'm hiking up a mountain and a, and a deer is bedded somewhere and I know that if I hike around this way two miles, I can get to him without him winding me or like I did on the last day of my hunt, I took, I said, yeah, it's a gamble. The wind's blowing here. If I go here, it's, it's, it's iffy, but if I go here, I can, it's, I can cut off two miles of distance, but I might have a chance to get on him. But if I go this way, 
it's two miles, but it's a guarantee I could get in on him without the wind. Well, the last day I chose the shortcut, and what did I do? I blew the deer out. You know, the deer the deer caught my scent and was gone. You know, is there anything that works for covering scent? Because you were using some stuff on the episode that I saw last week. Where yeah. you were that nose blocker? Yeah, some I tried. I tried that nose jammer stuff. Whatever. That's that stuff's different. I guess I, I'm not a belie- I'm not a scent guy. I'm not a cover scent guy. I'm not a. You don't believe in it? I don't. Do you think you know, just stuff too, like that? People are they're trying to convince me that that works, and it may work. But yeah, there was an instance on that episode because I, I don't want to down talk nose jammer, you know, because you know, they're 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 advertising on the show, but. It's not, it's a product that I told, I committed to him when I met the owner, I met John Redmond at a trade show in, in Reno and he was so stinking passionate about it. And I told him to his face, I'm like, John, I don't believe in that stuff, man. It's all hokey. It smells, smells funny. I don't want anything that smells. He's like, no, try it, blah, 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 blah. So it turns out I, tr- he gives me a can of this stuff and I try it there in Oklahoma. That's the first time I'd ever tried it. And there was a buck that came downwind and he obviously smelled something. You yeah, know? you could tell. He was like, what Yeah, the he's fuck like, is and, that, going and that on? was awesome because I was like, Is he smelling? But you know what? The deer could have done that by smelling me, or he was smelling the vanilla that I just rubbed all over the tree or whatever that was, whatever's in the nose jammer. But something confused his sensory glands. And that's the point behind nose jammer, I guess, is to kind of, kind of confuse their sensory glands so that it, it just pauses them just for that one minute. So hopefully you can get a shot at them. But it did. It it held that deer up, and then he then he moved on. So there was there's some validity to to that, I guess. But would that deer have done the same thing if I rubbed coconut oil on on my pants? You know, who knows? I don't know. Right? How could you I, tell? I, You'd have to have the exact same scenario with the exact same would. animal and, and a bunch of different options. And that's why, for me personally, that. I've had so much experience in the field, and, and I've had so many times when I've tried different things, and times when I've just gone natural. You know, where it's just me and my body odor, where that's it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end of the day, my conclusion has been, and, and it is to the, today. To, and that's not to say that it can't change over time. And as I as I have more hunting experiences. But right now, I don't want to interject any foreign scent into the air. You know, mm-hmm. I want, I'm going to have a smell to me no matter what I do, no matter what I shower in, no matter what I spray my clothes down with, doesn't matter. I'm going to smell a certain way that is not natural to that environment. So when that deer walks into his bedroom, because a deer, a deer is never anywhere by chance. He's never anywhere randomly. He's, he's walking where he's walking for a reason. You know, he knows that that's a safety corridor. Where he can trans, where he can move himself from food to bed, or whatever safely, and so he's there for a reason. So if he smells anything out of the ordinary or sees anything out of the ordinary, he's automatically going to be on alert. And you know that there's variations to everything because cropland and where you hunt some of these whitetails, it's farmland. Where I hunt there in Oklahoma, it's an operating cattle ranch. So the deer could have smelled people before, had to have because there's oil rigs in there where the, there's people in and out, so they know what people smell like. So to me, I use that into my, into my little thinking is that if they know what humans smell like, they want to avoid it. So they're traveling these corridors because they know they can avoid humans. So they're just traveling where he's traveling because he knows he's not going to have any interaction with, with anything but a deer. Right. So to me, I use that as, well, that's the point where I want to be and I want to get to so I can kill him. Mm-hmm. You know? So if he smells anything, I guess getting back to the scent thing, if he smells anything out of the ordinary... It's your the gigs up anyway. So and deer have an insane capability. Oh yeah, for smell, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're. They say I can, I don't know the exact numbers. I mean, I'm not a technical guy. I'm more of a live in the now. You know, feel how I feel kind of kind of person. So you know, I've had experiences where a deer has been 
thousand fifteen hundred yards downwind and he smells me and it, it blows me away it's like that deer is fifteen hundred yards away from me and he smells me and he takes off wow. because in the west you can see that you can right. see what goes on so when you're sneaking around you see that deer poke his head up and you know you you know when they're smelling and they're gone if they smell you they're out of there but you know, when I was hunting this year, there's several times where I bumped these two big bucks. I bumped them three different times. The first two times they just saw me and they didn't smell me and they just kind of, you know, moseyed off. They were like, something's, something's weird over there. You know, so that bush isn't supposed to be moving like that. But then the one time that they smelled me, they didn't see me. They just smelled me and they were gone. I mean, they booked it. Do they, they smell your breath? Like, what are they smelling? Yeah. Do you, Everything. You fart in the woods, don't you? I mean, I do. Well, there's, there's. It depends. It's breath, but it's it's. We have a scent, you know. Right. I mean, I smell myself right now sitting here. But it's like we have a we have an aroma about us, just like they have an aroma about them, you know. So you wash your clothes and the scent free stuff. You spray whatever. But you know, thirty minutes into a hike, I'm I'm sweating and smelling like yeah, like a so man you could, smells. You know, you could maybe eliminate the very outskirts of their ability. Don't where they even just try. Just play the wind. Just you know. Play the wind. Well, I mean, and that's hard too because it's like, you know, there's millions of dollar advertising dollars spent in promoting scent elimination products, and a lot of some of my sponsors promote scent elimination clothing or whatever. And at the end of the day, all that stuff can help. It can eliminate, like you're saying, it can take your, your scent aroma from here to here, mm-hmm. which is good. That's your advantage. But what about those ozone things? Those ozone things that people put behind them? I can't speak them? for that. I don't know. Ozonics? Oh, I dealt with ozone yeah. with water, but I don't know. I don't know. Why yeah, it was that. It's a giant box that's above your yeah. tree stand. Does it play music? Is it like, can you like. <laughs> yeah, Muzak. <laughs> yeah, something. It's like elevator music to calm them down. Put some sedates them. <laughs> Looks like something a projector to me. It's, it's like it's, the air cleaner thing. Yeah, it, it's the ozone. It puts out which I'm ex- experienced with ozone with water when I worked with, for a water company. Is the, the ozone is a it's a form of, of sanitizing. Uh, sanitizing, yeah, it keeps yeah. It keeps the lines clean and it keeps keeps everything clean. So I guess if you inject that into the air and you can smell ozone, like after a good heavy rainstorm or something, you can smell the ozone in the air. You can smell the smell it. The ozone but, from the ozone layer from the yeah from just from the, the environment the really? ions it yeah. It disables the ions and does something. Yeah, um, you can get them for your house. I know people that have got yeah, them around something. their house, and it lowers the dust levels, allergens. Really? Yeah, it just paralyzes it, brings it right to, yeah. But isn't ozone toxic? In, in, a, in high, yeah, you can get yourself pretty sick from it. if you. So if you're sitting in a tree stand blowing ozone on your face. I can't speak to it. To me, I don't know, man. That's one more thing right. I got to haul up the tree. I don't, I'm never going to use one. I mean, they could come to me and say, hey, we'll give you 50 grand to use this thing. I'll be like, I'll take your 50 grand, but I ain't going to use it. You wow. Know? How I rude. Know. I can't believe no. you're saying this on a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, you know. Well, good for you for being honest, honest. though. I no, I, I appreciate turned that down, very much. I had a sponsorship at one time with a scent elimination company, and they wanted to grow that sponsorship. They, of course, there was other pretense to it to move to another network and different things, and I ended up turning that down because it's it's. I, and I told him exactly. I'm like, this is not a product that I can get behind 100. percent And if I can't if I can't believe in in what it is, the people are going to see right through that. Right. So for me, it's like that money that you're going to give me. It does does. Does us both no good. Right, right. So I discontinued that relationship with that sponsor. Yeah, I feel the same way about sponsors for the podcast. I, I've, I've turned down a bunch. I've turned down one recently. It was pretty lucrative, but I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like what they're selling. I don't like the idea. 
not doing it. Yeah, and with the TV show, some of it, you know, you you see some of the ads or the the billboards that are running in the show and everything. What a person's got to realize too, from a production standpoint, is is we have sponsors, you know, quote unquote sponsors that we are backing. Under Armour, you know, mm-hmm. Prime, G Five, all these that that are backers and investor. You know, not in, yeah, they're they're pretty much investors in the in you and in your business and your brand. And then there's ads that you sell. You know, mm-hmm. thirty second commercial spots, those types of things. That's ad placement that either the network's going to put in there, or I'm going to sell it to somebody to put in there. Yeah, that's so uh, maybe kind maybe of people don't understand how outdoor shows work. Yeah, yeah outdoor sh- shows work a little bit different than a lot of other shows. A lot of times they get like, say, if uh, a guy uh, puts on a show like Solo Hunter, you have a certain amount of advertising space that's for you for your program, right. but then the network has a certain amount of advertising space of their own right. for their things, like. I had to tell Ranella about an advertiser that was competing with one of his friends' companies that was on the same show. I go, do you know that you guys are selling this on your show? He goes, what? We're selling that? I go, yeah, your show had an ad for this, mm-hmm. and I, which is a ripoff of It's because they didn't product. protect the category. Yeah, know? exactly. So for like Under Armour and some of these other, these the major sponsors, you protect categories. So mm-hmm. when somebody buys a, a, a commercial spot on the show for, say... That's protected. I'm not going to go out and find another clothing guy, you know, right, camera right, sponsor right. or any of that. I'm I'm exclusive for these guys, and so yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so it's for folks who don't know what you're exactly how you're saying it. It's it's a kind of a unique thing. You're kind of buying time mm-hmm. on a, on, a, on the network. Yeah, there's that's one thing I tell people. You know, is is there's no rule book, but there's no playbook either. So the networks, there's a lot of variations. You know, the majority of hunting shows out there, they're t- called time buys, where we buy a time we buy that thirty minute block on the network. And then we we buy the, a certain amount of advertising, and we sell that advertising. And then whatever advertising we don't buy from the network, because within a thirty minute commer- or ep- thirty minute block, you have six minutes of commercial time. So it's it's three two minute commercial breaks. So whether I buy any of those commercial times or not, Outdoor Channel is going to put in three two minute breaks into that that programming. So my thirty minutes turns into twenty two minutes. You know. So what I do is I buy. However many 30-second commercial spots I can sell, I buy that from the network. I turn around and sell that at margin. Then within the show content, there's, you know, I get paid to wear somebody's hat. I get paid to wear somebody's shirt. You know, if I use a product, I get paid. And there's different ad placements in there. And so it becomes more of people think that it's all about hunting. Hunting's the fun part. You know, but for me, the business is the fun part too. So you're, you're trying to calculate in that 30 minutes, how can I maximize, maximize my revenue? You know, mm-hmm. because you can only have, you have a limited number of, of advertising spots that you can put in there. So it's, who can I, who can I contract and who's, who, who can we fit in certain places? You know? It's a very interesting way to produce television that a lot of folks uh, aren't aware of. It's cool in a way because there are shows on the hunting television that are more like Discovery Channel where the network pays for them to be produced and they actually own the content. They're called Outdoor Channel Originals or on Sportsman's Channel. I don't know what they're called, whatever. Where the network is invested into these shows, or they give them the airtime for certain. Tr- there's, there's, there's a myriad of ways things can be done. But I want to own. At the end of the day, I want to own Solo Hunter, and I want to own Timbernet. I want to own my brand. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want just because they're buying the show off me. I don't want to have them have any control over me or what I do or what I say or what advertisers I can bring in. So at the end of the day, yeah, I'm, I'm having to front some money and and run it as a business rather than somebody paying me to produce a show. 
But at the end of the day, there's no limit to what I can make. You know, there's no limit to to the advertising that I can sell. And I own myself. I own the show. I own the brand. Are you aware of this whole sort of movement that's going on right now on television, on regular television, like the History Channel and a lot of these other channels, where they're really concentrating on people that are trying to live sustainable lives? Yeah. Like yeah. the Alaska shows, like Alaska Last Frontier, mm -hmm. or um, there's that other show, Life Below Zero. Have you ever seen that yep, show? Yep. It's a good show. It's a lot of a lot of it is hunting. Yeah, and uh, I follow that stuff probably more than I do in the hunting industry because to me that's it's obviously mainstream, but it's more fascinating because you don't have individual little guys like me conceptualizing and coming up with the content. You have big boys in big rooms making big decisions with big ch big checks, doing big analysis on viewership and on what people are looking for and all that. You have them creating the concepts and the ideas. So to me, it's like, those are the people I want to, I want to watch because those are the people with the brains and the backing behind them, knowing with the, with their hand on the pulse of what society is looking for. So, allegedly. so I follow the, allegedly, allegedly, which, you know, you, yeah, I mean, most of the time they're just TV fuckheads. The hard thing with that is, is like, you know, there's a larger part of society that are non hunters, non outdoorsmen than there are that are, you know, outdoorsman. But you're starting to see a lot of content, you know, people trying to portray that lifestyle. Yeah, that's why I asked you because I think it's a, there's, there's this movement right now, uh, and you see it in like weird ways. Like you see it with like preppers, mm -hmm. like a lot of these weird people that are like canning foods and digging holes in their backyard and burying water bottles Taking and stuff. Dumps and coffee cans. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Well, preppers, it's weird, you know, because yeah. some of them are like living in cities and they're putting all this stuff together. And you know, I kind of got news for you. If you're living in a city and the shit hits the fan, you better get the fuck out of that city. That's what I told my wife. I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm flying through Vegas into LA on 9-11. It's like, uh, there's nowhere to go. Like, I don't yeah. know how you guys do it down here. There's nowhere to escape. You know, there's me, nowhere. Where I'm at, I'm like, okay, out the back door, gone. Middle of the Nevada desert. You'll, yeah. never, you'll never find me. But here, it's like, man, you can't. Well, it's going to be crazy. also, you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of people who don't have any food, who don't have any water. Scary. And they're going to find out that you have food and water. You better have a lot of bullets and fucking Adderall to stay awake. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> don't let people know you've got a year's supply of food. Yeah, don't get you on know? a prepper show <laughs> yeah. where it shows yeah. the fucking front of your house and all your neighbors know where your stored food is. Crap hits the fan. There's a lot of us that are in trouble. Gotta yeah. Bug out. Ultimately, society is going to have to bond together. And those, those, that's, where, that's where religion and a lot of these groups will come together. And that's where it'll become valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for people that don't see it, like that's where little groups, communities, you know, it's where if you don't know your neighbor, man, you should know your stinking neighbor because yeah. the guy might be, the might, guy might be covering your back one night, you know, Maybe. so you need to know your area and you know, yeah, it's the fan. We're all screwed anyways. Yeah. You're almost like, uh, I was listening to this other show that I listen to all the time called radio lab. Uh, it's a, a podcast and they were talking about, uh, the, the impact that killed the dinosaurs. And, uh, when they were talking about it, it was like, you're just going over like what the original human was like this thing that allegedly came out of yeah. you know that impact like what animals what fossils they know of and it's almost like you'd rather get hit in the head by the <laughs> asteroid than go through all that shit i know you know I you know. don't want to be the, the the people that have babies in, in an ap apocalyptic just environment and then those babies grow on to like Fuck, man. Be glad you live in an era where they can make cotton really, really soft. And, <laughs> you know, you got soft blankets and warm heat, and you don't have to deal with yeah, I'm a big fan of civilization, but I am a big yeah. fan of this. Well, we were talking about the prepper thing because I think there's this 
people are sort of realizing as people pay more attention to a lot of the issues that society has, whether it's uh, environmental issues like um, whether it's uh, p- pollution or garbage that's being dumped into the ocean or the amount of uh, fish that's getting pulled out of the ocean, sustainability, and they start looking at the ideas of like where their food comes from. Like mm. people are really into grass-fed beef now. Grass-fed beef is a big thing. It was ne- just fucking non-existent ten years ago. Never saw grass-fed beef anywhere. Yeah. Almost every supermarket I go to now has like a little section grass-fed meat. You know, and people are concerned about animals that are eating what they're supposed to be eating instead of some well, weird fucking. Grain. I got news for for people is beef. You know, being here in the West, you know, we see a lot of that, and uh, the majority of its life is grass-fed. Yeah. You know, they turn them out on the range. They pay they pay fees for the to BLM or wherever it is. They're grass fed up until about three months at the end of their life, where they're put onto a feed lot, fed a bunch of fat foods, fattened up, so they taste good when I put them on the grill. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's there's a reason why, in my opinion, why foods have been engineered and and changed is because it makes them. We've got a lot of pop, a lot of people to feed. Mm-hmm. You know, for one. Yeah. But so in a way, that's good, but. As long as I can go out and still obtain a deer tag or an elk tag and go out and get my own meat for myself, I'm going to continue to do that. You know. Yeah. But. Well, it's just it's a totally different kind of meat. That was the the point is that that when you eat a steak from an elk or a deer and then you eat a steak from a cow, like one of them is a fat lazy fuck that's like m- like marbling. Like that shit's not supposed to be there. Oh, it tastes so good. It though. does taste so good. <laughs> I love it. I had a ribeye last night. Oh. Dang. A bone-in ribeye, oh, delicious. Yeah. I'm sure it was not fucking grass-fed whatsoever. Probably never even <laughs> saw grass. <laughs> probably never feared for its life either. Oh, probably not to the end. It didn't even know the end, you know? The axe fell and... Something. I don't think it's an axe. I don't know what it it's is. A it's a piston. piston. Yeah, that right? what it is. That thing like uh, No Country for Old Men, that yeah. thing that he uses that then they take the a rod. foreheads. And then they yeah. take a rod and go... Uh, I remember in mm. high school I watched a video on uh, on the butchering process, you know, and uh, that made me sick. When when they when they killed the cow, made me made me sick. After that, it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, because I've, I had dealt with that before. But. Well, what's weird is when they do it kosher style, like kosher, you have to cut its throat, oh, and it really? suffers way more. Yeah, it's brutal. it's very strange. Like they have rules. And a lot of the rules are like old school religious rules, like the reason why you're not supposed to eat pigs. Well, it's because a lot of pigs carry trichinosis. That's what they did back in the day, at least. And so they were telling people, don't eat pigs. Why? Because people ate pigs, they got really fucking sick. So they wrote it down. Don't eat pigs. It's against the religion. The way I grew up, you know, I mean, you talk about organic and you talk about raw. I mean, the way I grew up is probably about as organic and raw as you can get. I mean, whole milk straight from the cow. You milk the cow, take it in, strain it through a cloth, you know, that... A, a cloth, chill it, skim the the cream off, or shake it in, and you drink it. You know, no pasteurization, nothing. That's how that's how I grew up. There was a time there when when my dad was a farmer and he lost the farm, so he had to go back to college. Well, there was a, a big time stretch in there where we had to sustain off the land, you know, or off of the farm. We had animals to eat, and you know, you the farmers would come and drop off a sack of potatoes because they knew that you know these those little ruggedy kids, you know, their dads off going to college and their mom's trying to take care of them, and and so we literally lived off the land. For so your dad a, a lot was somewhere time. else, and you were on the dad farm? went to college in uh, Provo, Utah, while we lived in Central Idaho, you know, because he was, went back to school to get his teaching degree because we lost the farm. Now, um, he was a potato farmer for a long time, so we're living on the farm, and it wasn't it wasn't unusual for mom to go out 
grab one of the rabbits that we were raising and uh, I'll never forget the first rabbit, you know, that, that I washed, washed or kill, hung it up, smacked it on the head. And, you know, we, we had rabbit for dinner and it was, there was a lot of times where it's like, Timothy, can you go grab a chicken? You know, we need, we need some, we need dinner or whatever. And you'd go out and you'd get a chicken and you'd, you'd take care of it and bring it in, you know? There, it's just part of the lifestyle that I grew up that you didn't go to the grocery store and get things. You went out to the garden and you pulled off out a zucchini. You know, you went and pulled some tomatoes. You, what was really cool is the irrigation system that was there, the little ditches. I mean, asparagus everywhere, wild rhubarb. I mean, there's all these different kinds of things that we probably did out of necessity during that time span, more so than out of, yeah, we're going to live off of our farm, live off of what we create. But I think that time span taught me a lot about the reality of life and death, the reality of, hey, you can create and be self, completely self-sustained. You know, you can be, create your own food, everything right here just on one tiny little farm. And then also, you know, that's, that's what kind of gave me a love and a passion with animals because you're raising, you know, a calf from the time it's born. You're bottle feeding it. You're, you're feeding it all through through the winter time, you know, breaking the ice off the water trough and everything else. The next spring, you're killing it, and then you're going to eat it. You know, so there's that, that whole span where you go from life to death in a five, six, eight-month period of time. And as a young kid, that could be either traumatic or that could be a major life learning experience, you know. And I took that as this is the way life is. That's the way, that's the way things happen. So when I grew up and you get older and you get to college and people start throwing the, ah, you, you know, you eat animals or this and that and the vegetarian stuff and you start learning the things of the world. That's where it's like, man, you people are the ones that are crazy. Not me. You know, yeah, there's just so much ignorance involved in people that live in cities and, you know, claim that there's something wrong with people that eat animals. It's, the, the the what's wrong is factory farming there's something wrong about factory farming there's something wrong about jamming a bunch of chickens into a box that's so small they can't move and they cut their beaks off so they don't peck each other's but eyes do they out. have to that's the thing is do yeah. they have to do that in order to provide enough food for people that's that's right i don't know that's where they, i'm ignorant on the subject yeah. because it's like man part of it is like well we got to produce food we've got to mm-hmm. have gmos we got to have grain grow faster we got to have these different things just to provide food for people. There's so many because we're providing people. food for yeah. people all over the world. You mm-hmm. know, so it's like, dang, where's the fine line there? You know, where's where's? It's the a good point. I just think that the ethics involved in in raising animals. I think it is important. Mm-hmm. It is important, and it's important that these animals don't suffer uh, needlessly. Mm-hmm. But the idea that eating them is wrong. It's like. Boy, there's some weird. It's it's a very shallow-minded argument, in my opinion, or the not shallow-minded, but the 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 exploration of that idea, the exploration of that idea is is kind of simplistic, because if you just let the animals free, okay, no more no more livestock, no more this. Well, what are you going to do with all those animals? Are you going to just let them roam free? And if you let them roam free, how are you planning on driving anywhere? Because if you're planning on going places, do you want to keep them penned up? And you want to keep feeding them and they just not eat them? Okay. Well, what are you going to do when there's too many of them? Well, there shouldn't have been that many to begin with, you know, yeah. or it's because mm-hmm. of the, the factory farming that there are that many pigs or that many turkeys or whatever. Well, do you know but, what they're doing yeah, in, in the Hamptons? The Hamptons like a really yeah, rich I've, area. I've heard it on your, your podcast. That's the first time I heard about that. They're trying to give them the, birth control. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to give deer birth control. I mean, birth Hundreds control. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're doing it. Are they doing it? Yeah, right now. Psh, the fuck is wrong with these They've people? They've done birth control in certain cities, I think. The fuck yeah. is wrong with these people? You know, birth control, it's like, you know, it's a 22-cent 
308. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's birth control right Yeah, there. just or arrows. I mean, in one of the um, shows, uh, Waddell and um, uh, that dude, Never T-Bone. Never heard of him. You know those guys. Never heard of them. They uh, went Waddell, to uh, yeah. New Jersey, and they were in like this residential neighborhood in New Jersey that has a, a deer problem. So they were like posted up on these tree stands in these people's backyards, oh. just fucking deer everywhere. These guys, Mark here, That's grew up in I'm New from. York. Well, oh, yeah. Ithaca, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that place is mobbed. Mobbed with deer. With deer. Yeah. You can't even drive at night. Yeah. So they, what they do is they shut down the parks, and they allow you to go in after really? all the deer season's done, and you're allowed to take up to five deer. Wow. And man. it's so controlled that they want to know at the end of every day, you have to log on a piece of paper. Part of your license mm-hmm. what you've seen and how many and wow. where they were the guys in boston like mitch and tim were oh, they were yeah. showing me where they were hunting right i went to visit them. Right. it's like five minutes away from new plymouth rock you know yeah, and all that. Yeah. they're like hunting right there on the ocean and yeah. everything i was just like man that's crazy just overwhelmed with yeah. like urban deer or suburban suburban yeah. deer yeah. yeah it's a big issue also with ticks because those oh. deer are the ones that are carrying those deer ticks, and those are the ones that are carrying that Lyme disease. And my wife's obsessed obsessed with ticks. Every every time she talks to me on the phone, did you check yourself for ticks? No, babe, I can't see that far. Did Rene- you check yourself for ticks? No. Ranella and his kid both got Lyme disease, and Never one of him. his producers. Never heard of him. <laughs> he got uh, he got it really bad though. He had his I kid know. had Bell's palsy. I don't know if oh, you know, that's sad. Yeah, that's it was, crazy. It was ugly. But he was saying on the last podcast I did with them, but they they did some study of ticks in um, the uh, Hudson Valley, Hudson Valley, yeah. Hudson County, or something. Something like seventy to eighty percent of them have Lyme disease. Wow, it's a fucking epidemic. That's crazy. Well, they had uh, stinking what you call it, uh, Burning Man in Nevada out there. Oh, I guess yeah. a bunch of the people got Ni- West Nile West disease Nile. or something from the, all the mosquitoes. Six. Yeah, sixteen to twenty three thousand people. What yeah, came down with West Nile? Yeah, what? All the more reasons not read, to yeah. go to Burning Man. <laughs> there's there's no need for yeah. any more reasons to not go to Burning <laughs> yeah. Man. But if you did need one, that's it. Yeah, yeah. if I go to Burning Man, it's to hand out soap. <laughs> <laughs> I do find myself up on the mountain though. Sometimes you're like, well, what if I got any ticks? But you know, I've never. I mean, there's when I that deer I shot last week. Holy cow! Did you see the cape? There's ticks everywhere. Yeah. Just. Just covered literally just and what's crazy is when uh after the animal dies and you're, you're you i brought it back and i caped it out and everything which is if you don't know what caping is is when you take the hide for mounting you know so you take it off the head and neck and, and you bring it back you tan it and you have it mounted so you can preserve your you, whether it's a trophy or you can preserve your memories or whatever it is but once it dies and it goes through the cooling process the ticks no, don't have anywhere warm to stay anymore and there's no blood and there's nothing so they just start coming out like crazy Oof. and uh i mean there was just this pile of ticks i was like man that's do you kill them what do you do ah you just let them go you can't kill a tick i mean we used to when we have sheep and stuff and we'd be on the farm you'd kind of roll your fingernail over and crush them and try to kill them but yeah, they're, they're tough they're like a flea just don't get them on you. Yeah, they're they're bad. They're yucky. So, I don't know. I'm, I I couldn't have Lyme disease. I would never know. I, mean, I, I think you just I start feeling like shit. Uh, some days you feel bad. Some days you feel good. Well, they say that you know. Do you remember? Know. Like in the eighties or nineties, a lot of people were coming down with chronic fatigue syndrome. And they linked it to Lyme disease. Yeah. Is that what you're? Yeah, hmm. people were saying. Well, there was it was a real issue. Like people were saying, oh, you know, my friend has chronic fatigue syndrome. Like what does what does that mean? Well, sometimes people just get, for whatever reason, they're just tired all the time. Their body aches. Well, why? They don't know. Well, now they believe that a lot of those people have Lyme disease. 
Because apparently there's a lot of doctors to this day that are reluctant to diagnose someone with Lyme disease. And that's what Rennell ran into with his kid. Yeah. He was like, I think my kid's got Lyme disease. And the doctor's like, ah, don't worry about it. It's nothing. And then it turns out that he did. And, you know, he was really fucking pissed off because he brought his kid in there three times. But they'll sure slap him on Ritalin in a hurry. Though. Oh, yeah. 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 Go put your kid on Prozac. Yeah. Maybe it'll help us. I guarantee disease. if I took my kid in, they'd be like, ah, oh, he's ADD. You got you to gotta calm that kid down. I'm like, nah, man, he's a boy. He's exactly No Burning Man was not in infected with West Nile virus. See, Mark, oh, you're full of crap. Oh, what, what, what happened? They that's the that's the Huffington Post. I'm going to believe they that. found one. it in that area Yeah, and some traps, but it wasn't on any people. Or oh, okay. Only one case in that county. Yes. Oh. So that whole last five minutes of that segment, there were so many people out there screaming, you guys are wrong. You're so full of crap. They're spreading lies. Every podcast I've ever <laughs> done, ever. I got news. Every, yeah, I just, yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no way around that. It People. doesn't matter. You just got to do your thing. So I guess it's not 16,000. It's zero. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Close, Mark. <laughs> But well, when you think about, you know, uh, 7 billion people on the planet, I you said, weren't that I far heard. off. I heard. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Um, so back to uh, this, uh, 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 this, this movement, this trend that people are having to sort of, I think, I think a lot of it comes with people that are kind of trying to shy away from GMO foods mm-hmm. and these people that are trying to move towards sustainability. And I think that's what's being reflected in a lot of these shows. Um, but I find it fascinating that people are really into these shows that have never had any desire to hunt and they accept it like especially like life below zero is a really good one and they accept how these people live because well hey those people live out they in the bush to. they have no choice and it, it, it's a unique lifestyle choice instead of you know hey tim burnett likes to go out and shoot things and hunt them and, and film it but i feel like it's the same thing. I really do. I feel like it's exactly the same thing. It's just they've stylistically labeled it in a different way, and it became you know a reality show about unique people. Does that mean I have to uh, accept the hippie you know that's out there humping like minks all over and you know transmitting diseases everywhere because that's the lifestyle that they chose you know? So it's like they hump well, minks. They, I don't humping like minks. I don't know. Whatever. What's I'm a just. Minks? <laughs> Like the animal, Rogan. Like you're minx? ruining my example. I'm here. sorry. I'm just saying. What's just just because example. they're they're saying there. that it's acceptable because those people interjected <laughs> their themselves into that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, so the people that are living a, you know, whatever lifestyle, should I accept that just because they're they're putting themselves into that lifestyle? It's like, I don't know. Well, I have no problem accepting any lifestyle that doesn't intrude on mine. But when I see these um, these uh, reality shows, whatever you want to call them, where these people are living this sustainable life, I just I, I find it super intriguing, yeah. like almost like in a primal way. Like I, I love watching those shows. Mm-hmm. I think it's there's um, Life Below Zero. There's one guy, I think his name is Glenn, and uh, he lives deep in the woods. Okay, he lives right next to this lake. And uh, he doesn't have any power. There's no, no, he doesn't have a fucking snowmobile. Like, there's levels that these guys do it. Some guys have snowmobiles. There's one guy, Eric, he has a snowmobile and he traps and hunts and he sells the, you know, the furs and things along those lines. And so he gets some money for that for supply. And then he also guides. He's a hunting guide. Mm. But this other guy, Glenn, he's not none of that. I mean, all he, he has some furs that he sells and with that, with the money, he gets bullets. And that's basically he has tin can, you know, uh, pots and pans and things along those lines for cooking. But everything he does, he's he's chopping his own wood. He makes his own fire with like one of those things. He puts like the piece in his mouth with the stick, so he can hold it in place and does the whole thing with the fucking with really? the, uh, the. It looks like one of those things you play the violin with. 
you know, like just a, a fire like bow. A bow. It's just a yeah, fire bow. A fire bow, but he it's an old school one where he holds a piece in his mouth that keeps his stick in place so he could like a he's like a got a bow. So he can piece. use both hands mm-hmm. for the moment. Exactly. Rather so he can really get it normally fast. you push down with one arm and you bow yeah. with another arm. So yeah. he bites down on it with his teeth, holds the stick in place, and he can make a fire pretty quickly like that. It's pretty mm-hmm. interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. But he said, Hey, you know, you could lose matches, matches get wet, this I'll never I'll never lose. So he's gone. So old school, like com- as as old school as old school gets, and it's amazing. It's fascinating. Yeah. But for this guy, when he talks about it, he talks about how exciting and enriching every day is for him. Every day has a purpose. Every day is you know acquiring food, living off the land, figuring out a way to store that food. He's got this um, like m- this meat cooler room that he's built. That's uh, like a sod house. Mm-hmm. So he has all this sod over it, you know, to kind of keep it essentially underground, keep mm-hmm. it cool. And he has all his meat hanging in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's incre- it's incredibly fascinating that people are like tuned into this stuff and geared. And a lot of my friends that have never had any desire to hunt whatsoever watch these shows and sort of sparks that little fascination inside of them. It's got to be good. I mean, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's just like Alaska, The Last Frontier. That's mm-hmm. one that I really like. Yeah. And I think that one's kind of twofold. The reason I like it is, one, because the cast member, the characters, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're pretty pretty interesting, and I like I like that. But two, it's it's the subsistence lifestyle. You yeah. Know, subsistence lifestyle. Yeah, that that's a, an interesting one, too, because there's different people that are in that family that do it different ways. Mm-hmm. Like the one guy, Otto's a cattle rancher. And he's got his cattle, and then there's the son who just decides no, no cattle ranching, just going to go off a hunting, do the whole thing, you know. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, you need it can be done, but man, yeah. it's not as easy as people would think it is. Yeah. It's a 24 hour proposition. Yeah. And then there was there was one just on uh, Discovery Channel. I, it must have only ran for a few weeks, called The Hunt or something, where they oh, yeah. were they were documenting or following like ten ten weeks outfitters or something. Yeah, yeah that's James Hatfield from Metallica was the the host. He was of one it. of the guys. He got a lot of flack for for mm-hmm. going on there or something. But it's like it's like you know. The mainstream networks, and I guess that's kind of a frustration too. It's like, well, why can't a hunting show go mainstream? Mm-hmm. Why can't a typical hunting show go mainstream? Well, I don't know if society would accept that or not at a mainstream level. And yet the discovery channel can come out with a series like that, that is hunting and it's, it's bears, you know, they're hunting bears. It's like, how, why do, why is that okay for discovery channel to do that? But for me to go out and, you know, kill a deer or an elk. I think it's changing. That's why I brought that up. And I was going to bring up the hunt because uh, I think it is changing. They tried to get James Hatfield removed from the Glastonbury music festival because he hosts the hunt. And they used a photograph that they said was him standing over a grizzly bear but it wasn't even him Hmm. it's not him but pull that photo up you know that photo that guy who is the actual hunter um he he's been sort of um going out publicly and promoting this like Mm -hmm. i don't know why these these anti-hunters use this photo of a guy who kind of sort of looks like james hatfield but it's not james hatfield at all so it's complete bullshit it's not he's what he's doing is just narrating it they took into you know this this idea and they they ran with it and they're being uh really um dishonest with it this is the guy see and they're promoting that as james hatfield just because he was the narrator behind the series yeah and well he kind of looks like him a little bit but it's not it's not james hatfield at all that's james hatfield i mean james hatfield does hunt but that's not him standing over that grizzly bear so 
the entire premise of this thing that they were doing to try to get people off of uh, or get Metallica mm-hmm. removed from this music festival was just a bullshit have, photograph. Have you had anything him. against you for, for you going hunting? Is like oh, anything yeah. publicly where it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, don't let Rogan, you know, don't let him do anything with UFC anymore. No. <laughs> How could you do that? Cage fighting? <laughs> <You're gonna stop. laughs> That's the thing about being a cage man fighting commentary. Man. You're already doing something so <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. You know, you're involved in what some people think is human cockfighting. They don't really care <laughs> if you go out and shoot animals. But yeah, mm. I've had people angry at me. Definitely. People mm. call me a piece of shit, especially for the bear. The yeah. bear was a bit, there's a photo of me and Cam standing over this bear I shot. And I got more heat for that than anything i ever did because i think it's because people have this what they call anthropomorphication i think is the word where they connect uh animals to hu- with human characteristics yeah. like yogi bear and fucking all these ridiculous and I think we grew up that way we exactly. grew up loving those animals you know yeah and they have this idea of what wildlife is that's completely alien from wildlife itself. Right. Those folks that I went uh, bear hunting with, uh, Cameron Haynes and the Rivets, uh, Johnny and Jenny Rivet, they run this uh, Living the Dream uh, outfitter company up in uh, Alberta. The nicest fucking people you ever want to meet in your life. And they have they have animals. They have dogs. They love their dogs. They have a puppy. Like people who don't understand mm. hunting would never imagine that these people go out, shoot bears all day, and come home and pet their puppy. You know, it's like to them, it seems like completely contradictory mm-hmm. and alien. Like, how do you decide what animals you're shooting and what animals you're you're petting? And I can respect. That. I mean, you can see why. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife's the same way. She's like, how can you love animals so much? And uh, you know, when you see a deer hit on the side of the road, you're like, oh man, that sucks. That's really. And then the next week, you go out and kill one. She's like, I don't get that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's. It's it's hunting. It's not killing. You Does know. She eat meat. She eats meat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she uh, she's funny. She'll try to like I'll cook up some elk steak or something, and I'll be like, and I, I got to admit, I'm not a Ranella. I'm not you know Remy's a great cook, but I'm like I'm one of those guys. I want a slab of meat. I'm going to put it on the grill. It's going to hit 120 degrees, whatever, and then I'm going to eat it. You know. I mean, that's it's like I don't want to spend t- my time preparing food. I just want to eat it. And so some of the stuff I cook doesn't taste that great. You know, and that's where it's like, <laughs> but it's meat, you know, and it's meat that I killed and meat that I brought home. So I'm going to eat it. But to her, it's like, ah, oh, it's a waste of time. So, you know, if I spent more time preparing it and aging it and doing whatever needs to be done with it rather than just cooking it and eating it, she she might taste it, but who knows. So she doesn't eat your game meat? No, I cooked one time where I was like, babe, this is the best. It was tenderloin from an elk, you know, and, and granted, I cooked it on the grill like i probably shouldn't have and it was doused with barbecue sauce i mean you couldn't tell i couldn't tell because i was like i want this to taste exactly like beef mm-hmm. which it did and she chewed on it took one bite into it and spit it out blah 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 and of course my boy sees this so he's like i don't ever want to eat deer ever again dad you know because mom spit it out and it's like no 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 mom just doesn't like it but that's funny. I don't know what it That's is. That's interesting. I, I hammer on it all the time. I'm like, babe, just try it. But she's like, you can't even cook that in the house. You know, don't even cook it in the house. So it's she like, won't let you cook it in the house. She will. I mean, she will. It's not. I mean, I, I wear the pants around there. <laughs> damn it. You know? he's, <laughs> like, but, he's gonna try to reclaim power here. <laughs> like, please let me be the man. <laughs> No, but she, yeah, she's like, if you're gonna cook that, go outside. So it's like, that's you know, fine. I'll put it on the grill and I'll chew the crap out of it and I'll I'll eat it and I enjoy it. Well, my my wife grew up in a hunting family, so Did she's you? used to eating like wild game. She she likes that's it, good. and our kids have been eating it since uh, I started hunting two years ago. So when uh, my my youngest daughter was two, 
it was like the first time she had deer. So she's been eating deer since then. Yeah. Like they, they'll eat anything. Oh, my kids have, my kids have been raised on, it. I mean, they've eaten more wild game than a, a lot of kids. I'm sure. And they just don't know. You know, it's, it's the same. It's meat, meat. When yeah. we cook meat, it's meat, whether it's a deer and elk, right. know, chicken, whatever. My, my two year old, she's, everything's chicken, more chicken, more chicken, you know, and it could be, <laughs> it could be a buffalo for all of them. It doesn't matter. Everything's chicken. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a weird thing where people have this uh, like this connection with some animals are like your friends, and mm-hmm. some animals like you should you should never hunt this. Like, I have an agent; she's a very nice person. She loves animals, but she told me, "Oh, I don't mind if you kill pigs. Wild pigs are disgusting. They're so ugly." Like yeah, my wife's like that. She's like, "They're ugly. You can kill them because they're ugly." I'm yeah. like, "Is it their fault that they're that's, ugly?" That's the thing that kind of. Yeah, I'm gonna, it ticks me off because like the network promotes this apocalypse crap. You know? Oh yeah, and yeah, I yeah, have yeah. here's the thing: a little background story to this. I grew up on a on a farm. Obviously, at one time we had a hog operation. We had hundreds of pigs, you know, whatever. But like, I have a love for pigs. I love the I love animals. They got personalities. They're really cool. You know, I mean, they're they're cool. And so when I see somebody who will rename nameless on a TV show. Pig shoot, man. shoot one arrow through two pigs, and that's okay. But yet, if I shoot one arrow through two deer, you know, even if it's legal or two whatever, it's not okay. And then the very next minute, shoot, you know, a weanling, 10-pound pig in the head with a pellet rifle and watch it sit there and flail on the ground, that's bullcrap, you know? Well, let's because I have a relationship with that hawk, with that little pig, yeah. where it's like, don't show me that. Do it. You can do it. I don't care. Don't show me that. You know. Mm-hmm. Don't show public that because to me, I think the, the worst enemies for for hunters and hunting television are hunters and hunting television. We're we're our worst worst advocate. And I say we. I lump us all in broad broad strokes. But it's it's like there's so many out there doing things that yeah, it's the reality of it. But it's not it's not what needs to be seen. You know? I know what you're saying, and I'm going to explain it to people who don't know what you're saying. Um, there, there are certain shows, and there's one show called Pig Man. And, I wasn't um, going to say it. I said it. Yeah, I said it. Sorry, Matt. Um, anyway, uh, Pig Man, he, the, what they're doing a lot is population control rather than hunting. And they are shooting animals, but they're shooting animals that have overrun these farms. So... Some of them, when you were saying apocalypse, what they're doing is they're getting these helicopters. We've played video of it. It's, it's the craziest shit ever. Of him and Nugent up in helicopters with fucking automatic rifles taking out pigs, like, in mass. They shot 450 of them or something in a day once. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. These pigs are running, and they're, boom, headshot as they're running. They're tumbling. And it's not about... Like, we're going to go out and shoot an animal, harvest it, and then use it and eat it and, you know, and, and show the hunting lifestyle. No, it's it's like, it's a murder fest. Yeah, it's like know? pigs have a pass because of what they are, you know, what what they're doing. I mean, because they're causing billion, probably billions of dollars in damage to yeah. crop, crops and that. So it's like, it's like pigs, pigs have been removed from the game animal category. They're vermin. It's like yeah. a, it's like a coyote. They're you know? varmints. Yeah. 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 But I will say probably on those shows, I guarantee they have to, you know, mm-hmm. that, that meat has to be used somewhere and taken, taken and donated and processed. They can't just leave them lay. I mean, that's, I don't think so. I don't but know, when you're dealing but with 450 of them, not. do they even have the resources to gather up all those they pigs? They better because if they're shooting that many hogs and they're not doing anything with it, to me, that's bull crap. Yeah. They've got to have the resources, just like in New Zealand. When they go in and call out, you know, the, the, the wild deer and that in there because there's no predators, 
they have the resources to go in with a chopper and pull it out and they 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 harvest that meat so if yeah. they're shooting 450 pigs bastards better have a way to to keep that meat because that's ridiculous if they don't in my opinion my opinion yeah um, i well i agree with you because it's a massive waste of great meat too. yeah wild pig is absolutely delicious it's really good for you it's completely different from domestic pig in the way it looks because these animals are eating all kinds of different natural things roots and and grasses and they're not just eating <laughs> grain it's not like white it's not like a white meat. Like, that was the thing that they had this thing, pork, the other white meat. You remember that that yeah, campaign? No. If you ever see a wild pig, folks, it it's not white. white. Mm. It's not white at all. It's fucking red. I mean, it's not as red as a deer, but it's a dark meat. Yeah. It's because it's healthy. We should we should invest in a barbecue house and just go and put a barbecue house in Texas and then just go kill all the wild pigs and use that to, to get all your meat. Well, that's what Pig Man to. does. Is that what he does? Yeah. See, he, I saw that that show he had. I called it. Was going to call it that stupid series on Discovery Channel. Here I go say again, it. hacking don't, on it. It's like, don't worry about it. Well, I saw it. this. And it's like you know the, the whole concept behind it's cool, but it's just you know. Well, it's, it's a like reality they show. They were they were they were doing that. They were killing the hog and then going and, and providing it to this. Uh, he had his own barbecue house. place. Yeah, yeah. yeah which so. is a great idea. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think it's totally legal. At least it might be in you Texas. You can't sell wild game. Yeah. Like if I yeah. kill a, an elk, I can't sell it. Yeah. You know? um, Which is a good thing. Yeah. 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 But I, I can donate it. And I tell you, the m- amount of traveling and hunting that I do, I donate a lot of meat, you know, in a lot of, a lot of different places. Yeah, I would a lot of hunters do. Yes. Um, but don't you think that like wild pigs, if they became a, a revenue source like that, if they had a restaurant, that I mean, if, you, if they have an animal that is so completely overpopulated and overrun that they don't have any tag limits, which pigs are at right now, you could just go and shoot fucking mm-hmm. pigs all day long and they'll, they'll be happy for you, including California, which is like one of the most liberal states ever, which has all sorts of crazy regulations on animals that need to be called and aren't. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, real issues here with mountain lions and right. there's a, a real issue with, uh, with people that don't want people to hunt mountain lions and they don't understand how ridiculously overpopulated these fucking things are getting and these poor people that are running farms have to deal with these animals coming in and just decimating mm-hmm. their the population of their calves you know the, the 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 game animals like the people that will tell you about when mountain lion hunting was legal in comparison to now and then the deer population levels mm-hmm. there's no comparison right i mean they're there's they're fucking everywhere man yep. at tahone ranch where i've been pig hunting before the guy who was uh, our guide told us that he has a trail camera set up over this water hole, and he got 16 different mountain lions on camera. Mm. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, do you know Dang. how many deer a mountain lion's going to eat in a week? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like one every couple days. Yeah. It's uh, uh, unbelievable how many mountain lions they have, and it's because you can't hunt them. Yeah. And that is when you have a predator that can't, you can't, if we're going to be the stewards of the land, which is what most people look if you're going to accept that we have regulations on game we have regulations on on you know fish that you can pull for the ocean we're supposed to be managing the population of these animals in a smart intelligent way and that's good conservation but when you remove some animals from that management simply because of public opinion mm-hmm. non-informed public opinion of people who are animal lovers that's ridiculous. You yeah. can't do that. That's that's contrary to the very nature of conservation in the first place. 
conservation isn't simply, oh, we need to preserve the habitat and give these animals food and make sure their water's not polluted. Sure, that's most certainly a part of it. And for people who don't know, hunters have been re- responsible for way more money that goes to conserving wildlife habitat, conserving wetlands, than any other group by far. Mm-hmm. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. No no like tree hugger conservation group has come close to generating the amount of money that has gone into conservation as hunters have. But right. because you, you're controlling populations of deer, controlling populations of elk, pigs, all that's good. But you've got to control fucking predators, too. Yep. And they're realizing that now in a lot of these states where they reintroduce wolves. And people are fighting against <clears throat> people uh, hunting wolves. Like, you better fucking go online and research those giant super packs of wolves in Siberia that storm a farm and kill a hundred horses and no one could do a goddamn thing about it because you've got a thousand wolves. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being in a fucking farm and you're looking out the window and you see a pack of wolves just tearing apart horses mm-hmm. and no one could do anything about it? Well, that's what happens when shit gets out of line. Mm-hmm. And that's the way wolves work, too. You know, They'll yeah. generate those super packs. There's a great story from World War I where the Russians and the Germans had a ceasefire. They were, in, they were in the woods in Russia. They had a ceasefire because so many of them were getting killed by wolves. No way. They would send out these packs... They would send out rather these um, these uh, parties would like like search parties at two two men at a time and they would never come back and they would go out and they'd find their clothes torn apart covered in blood and then they realized oh my god these guys are getting taken out by wolves they were getting targeted by wolves so when they would have small numbers these guys had rifles yeah. they were fucking soldiers and the wolves were eating them I mean and so Let's stop talking about wolves the wolves are fucking scary dude yeah. talking to a guy that spends a lot of time in the wild alone tell me uh, next week me. next oh. week i will be camping where there's a lot of wolves <laughs> by myself and it's where, like where are you going i'm not afraid of bears as much or mountain lions or anything wolves scare the crap out of me you know wolves and lightning i don't know what it is but what is it about wolves? Gonna, wolves because there's so much unknown about there's so much unknown about modern wolves we know about you know wolves of, of history old you know, and in times like that, when there were super packs and all that, well, they're just now being reintroduced, and there's a whole new generation, my generation included, that we don't know, we don't know and understand wolves and their how they hunt and how they, you know, how they are evolving. And so, to me, there's just so much eerie about them, you know, so much unproven. You know, I could be that first guy that does get attacked and killed by a wolf, you know, that's that's there, because there's more people now too so they're they're they there's more of a chance of a wolf being conditioned to people or public than there ever has been before so i think that it's just it's a different animal today than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago and the thought of me you know me or a hunter somewhere in there you get a pack that's just in the wrong mentality that maybe hasn't been hunted that much or hasn't been pressured that much because you're you're way back in the wilderness you know, they may be a little bit more aggressive than, than what you would like, you know? So they just kind of creep me out a little bit. They should creep you out. In the 1400s, there's a story called The, oh, wolves, the wolves of Paris. Have you ever la, heard that la, story? La, 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 la. <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah. Wolves killed 40 people in Paris to the point where people had oh, that's to- that's right. In the, yeah. in the city itself. In the city, city itself, of yeah. Paris, they had killed 40 people. And um, it was there was a man-eating wolf pack- in, uh, in 1450, and the animals entered the city during the winter through uh, breaches in its walls. This is so crazy. And this one, uh, they, they had eventually uh, counter, they had cornered the wolves, and they were killing them with stones and spears in front of the no- Notre Dame uh, Cathedral. That's it's a insane. fucking crazy That's story. That's like taking coyotes of today 
Because there's coyotes roaming around here, probably, oh, or yeah. someone, and turn them into wolves. You know, if that's if that's a wolf in that environment, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, even scarier because they're obviously a lot bigger and, and creepier. But yeah. people throughout history have had real issues with wolves. But today we associate wolves with being dogs. We think of them as dogs. Like anybody would hunt a wolf as an asshole. What do you think the Little Red Riding Hood story? Why was that about a wolf? Why was that about a wolf? Why is it the big bad wolf? Why is why is the the three little pigs and the big bad wolf? Because wolves were a fucking issue. You'd go into the woods, and the thing you'd be worried about was wolves. Yeah. Do you want your kid not to be able to walk to school because there's wolf roaming the the area, you know, or whatever? It's like. Yeah, I don't know. But people That's don't scary. want people hunting wolves. It's one of the biggest blowbacks. It's Well, it goes back to what you just said, you know, said earlier, and it's not exactly the same thing, but you're like, you don't care what lifestyle people lead as long as it doesn't affect you. Same same concept here. People don't give a crap about other stuff as long as it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. So it's like they can, we all, we all fall into it a little bit. Is we can be hypocritical and say, you know, I don't like this and I don't like this and this because that's going to affect me. But if somebody wants to, if, you know, if they want to go out and do this, that's fine. I don't care. You know, so they look at it as, well, I guess I don't know where I'm going. I just kind of lost that to you. No, but (laughs) But it's like, you're right. Like the the people that don't interact with those wolves. Don't kill wolves because the wolves wolves. don't hurt me. The wolves don't bother my kids walking to school. So don't kill the wolves. Well, yeah, but you know, my kid might get pounced on by a mountain lion because we live in the rural countryside, you know? Well, not only that, you have to keep their populations down for the health of all the other animals that are around them as well. Like they they can start decimating wildlife populations. They've done that with elk. They've done that with deer in the areas where they've been reintroduced. The numbers of elk have drastically receded. Dude, I'm from Idaho, man. I know that full full on the valley where i grew up i mean in, in the late 90s early 2000s i mean elk elk it was elk hunting heaven there was elk coming down in our eating out of our cattle feeder you know right at the back of mom and dad's house wow. you know there was elk everywhere and uh the hunting was awesome and they weren't bothering the crops or anything well then the wolves come in can you imagine can you picture a, a, a herd of elk you know and all of a sudden there's oh there's a real big dog over there oh that's a big coyote the coyote starts picking them off, and it, it takes them quite a while before they learn and condition themselves that, hey, that's not a coyote. That's something different. So those herds were just standing. They were just, it was like a turkey shoot. They had they, never, they had never been experienced around wolves. wolves. No, yeah. they'd experienced mountain, li- or mountain lions, coyotes, and bears, which don't hunt like wolves do. They don't hunt in packs. So a pack of wolves comes in. They think, there's those damn coyotes again. Whoa, where'd Jimmy go? You know, where, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And the next thing you know, it takes them years to condition themselves to where now elk hunting today is different than it was 15 years ago because the elk act differently. I mean, there's certain instances where it's similar, but... They're a different animal to hunt today than they were 20 years ago. Have you ever been uh, hunting in any way and had a kill and had to keep a predator off the kill? Yeah. So uh, I was hunting deer, white-tailed deer, actually, in northern Idaho with a bow. This was in like 2008, 2009, something like that. And I was filming the hunt. You know, This was before I started the TV show, but at that time I already had had the concept of solo hunter in mind, so I'm filming everything. And it just, the light, light gets dark, and so I go to take the camera off the, the arm that I had, and I flip the switch, and the camera, whoosh, down the bottom of the tree, crushed. So I was like, crap. Well, then a deer comes out. I'm like, well, I'm going home tomorrow anyway. So I grab my bow, thump the deer, and uh, I'm sitting there, and the deer kind of goes over and starts to do the wobble thing. Well, next thing you know, a bear pulls up, a black bear comes up and takes the deer down and immediately pulls it over this hillside. And I'm like... That was pretty dang cool. I wish, and I was just, I was more mad at myself than awestruck because I was like, I dropped my damn camera out of the tree and I could have filmed that. But, um, so I was more like just upset. So I thought, no big deal. I'll just climb down, 
go down, spook the bear off, get my deer, go home. No big deal. So I go and I'm trailing, trailing this deer and all I've got is my flashlight in one hand and my bow in the other. And I can hear the bear sliding it down the, the hillside. And it's a pretty steep grade. And I'm like, bear, whoosh, making noise, doing whatever. Because I'd have experiences with bears and it didn't, wasn't that big of a deal. But then everything got quiet. And then I was like, and where I screwed up was I picked up the phone and called my wife. Hey, babe, I'm uh, trailing a deer. I'll be home tomorrow. What's going on? I'm like, oh, this bear took it. And I was like, oh, stupid. Why would you say that? Because <laughs> then from then on, I was like, ah. And so from then on, my wife's been freaked out about bears. But so I'm, I'll finish the story. But so I'm, I'm trailing. All of a sudden, things get super quiet. I'm like, oh, good. The bear just kind of ran off. I'm going to go find my deer. And I, I stood up on this, uh, this stump. It was kind of a, a logged area. I stood up on this stump and I'm looking around with this flashlight, just kind of panning around, looking for the deer. And all of a sudden I hear, heard just kind of a noise. I'm like, like this right at the base of that stump, that bear was on top of that deer. And he's just like, Whoof. he just hoofed one time. I just How far of, away from you? Oh, four or five feet, six feet. I don't know. I mean, it was close. Oh, right. I mean, Jesus I'm standing on the stump Christ. and he's on this side on top of the deer. So I just kind of jumped back and went back up. I'm like, what was I thinking? Going after a bear that just took down a deer that thinks that's a deer he just took down. So he's going to be like defending you know, it, defending it. And I was like, you stupid fool. You could have just, you could have just, it could have been over right there. You know? Right. So the next morning I go in, no big deal. Daylight, the deer, the bear doesn't have, you know, he's not, doesn't have big of cojones during the day, I guess, but he just ran off. I grabbed the deer and I have that on film. Actually, if you look at the, the first solo hunter episode, it's, it's uh, episode one Oh one. It's got that where I, I kill a deer, but then I do a flashback of the year before when I was filming that hunt, and I've got my little handy cam that I filmed. You can see all the scratches all over the, the deer, and you can see where the bear had eaten it out from the hind end and all that kind of stuff. So, how much of the bear, how much of the deer did the bear eat? He had only eaten part of the hind quarters. You know, they always go in through the butthole and through the soft soft tissue, but he you could see where he had scratched it up and where he had, had drug it down and, and uh, just ate part of the hind quarters. But, you know, for the most part, the deer was fine, salvageable, so I just cut him up and took him home so when you when you have an animal like that that another animal is eating part of it do you worry about it being contaminated anyway is there any concern i didn't even think about it there i mean obviously you're cooking it above a certain temperature anyway but i didn't even think about that i don't i don't even know honestly if that could have been an issue you know with a bear eating eating the meat i don't, I don't know you think anybody out there know if I could have gotten sick? <laughs> you cut Maybe around. That's why it? I have troubles getting out of bed. In the Something's wrong with yeah. my eyeballs. Yeah. Do you uh, do you cut out around yeah. the airway? Yeah, yeah, I cut all. But you know, it's just I don't know. I didn't even think about that. The, riv- the rivets <laughs> that I told you about, the guys up in uh, northern Canada, they uh, they shot a bear and it was getting dark, and so they went back in the morning to recover it, and a, another larger oh, bear God. was eating it. Mm. While they got there, and they're like, oh, great. That's crazy. That's a real issue up there, cannibalism. Cannibalism is standard. And it's it's just going to get worse, you know, as the numbers increase. It can only get worse, can't it? I mean, until they get get disease or, you know, and have a die-off. I mean, because nature has a kind of a way of taking care of itself. I mean, before Mm -hmm. man came along anyway, there was how many millions of buffalo roaming the, the countryside. And I'm sure there were areas where a disease or something was spread and there was a die off. And so the herds moved off and split off. And that's how, that's kind of how animals maybe, maybe moved across the countryside is, is different elements of, of nature that happened, you know? So we look at this as we're like, you know, I'm on this earth for 80, 90 years, hopefully. Well, that's, that's nothing in evolution of animals or in the, the, how, how a, a herd or, a, or, or certain 
species might evolve in an area. You mm-hmm. know, an elk herd could grow up to a certain number and then it could have a die off because of sickness. They could grow again. Well, that might take a hundred years, you know, for that process to, so for us to actually see that, that population curve. But then that's when you start talking about introducing the wolves, that population curve takes a big dive quick, but you know, what was the logic behind reintroducing wolves? bureaucracy i guess i don't know because wolves are cute and cuddly and they want them in yellowstone because it's a park but oh, oh there's no fences around yellowstone i didn't know that did you know that there's no fences <laughs> around yellowstone i mean grizzlies the next the next thing we got grizzlies in idaho that are starting to cause issues and you know there's 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 all kinds of instances in montana that grizzlies the next animal to to start causing issues i believe just because for some reason now it seems like nature is at its prime for bear populations to grow. You look at bear numbers, hog numbers, all these all these populations of animals' numbers are continue to steadily grow massively. And I think that's just the, the nat- na- natural curve of where we're at, that if we weren't involved in managing it or anything, it had hit that precipice where diseases and cannibalism and all these things would take over and, and nature would, would curve itself back down to get sustainable numbers. Or they would just out eat, the, eat themselves out of home. You know? When you stumbled upon that bear and that bear was like four feet away from you with the deer, mm-hmm. did you just back out of there? I just backed away. Yeah, I just like, whoa, went back up and then... Uh, Slept in my truck that night, and then the next morning I just kind of went around. I had my and brought in my gun and uh, just a couple shots on the hillside. The bear runs off. You you get the deer. Did Did you ever watch that show, The Hunt? I did. I watched one or two episodes of it. And my problem is, is I look at it. I'm ruined because as a producer, I watch everything as a producer rather than as a viewer. And so it, it kind of I hate that because I can't ever watch something and, and get true entertainment out of it or true value out of well, it. Well, yeah, I know it what you sucks, mean, but, but the, it was badly produced, in my opinion. I, I, agree. I I felt like, first of all, they kept using this fake bear sound, the same sound over and over again. They would interject it, and you knew that they were interjecting it because all of a sudden, like, there would be like a shaky camera. Why is a bear going to be growling and, exactly. and roaring? A bear is going to be damn silent until he's ready to kill you. And they, you they would do it over and over again right before they cut to commercial. Yeah. Like, so they're like to get you to like tune in. Like, oh, like, look, the camera's shaking. But you know what? Right. I guarantee everybody watching that's like, wow, bears make noise in the wild. And that's mm. the problem with shows like, you know, like that, that they're putting on the mainstream. There was one called Chasing Tales on there for a while on, on A&E or one of those. Or it's like everybody associates hunters as flannel-wearing, overweight, middle-aged, bearded men, you know? And we're not. We're businessmen. We're regular people. We're whatever, you know, you. And there's all these t- types of people that are hunters and that are outdoorsmen, but society sees us as Bubba. Well, in movies, too. They're like, it's remember that's that how it's portrayed. Wolverine movie, there are assholes that yeah. poison the deer. Hunters are assholes. Bears. Didn't and, know that. And I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But drunks, they're usually drunk, you yeah. know? And that's that's because it's the same same concept as you know Disney portrayed animals as people. So we think of animals as people. Well, mo- Hollywood and whatever else portrays hunters as the dumbest. Yeah, yeah the most simple minded. When drunk. in reality, you look at you look at the science and the management behind conservation and wildlife conservation. It, it, it's not stupid stuff, you know. It's no, it's involved. not stupid stuff at all. It's very stupid calculated. Stupid stuff is contraceptives for deer. That's stupid stuff. <sighs> yeah, that's birth control for deer that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars when deer are delicious. Yeah. They're, so they're running around. Instead of just having hunters come in and shoot them with bows and arrows or crossbows, whatever, you could d- to control the population like that. It would only take a couple of weekends. Yeah. And they could you know, do big numbers and get a lot of meat out of it. 
But instead, they're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and give them birth control. What do you think is the answer for people when, when I mean, what is it going to take for, have you ever, have you, if you've ever convinced somebody that hunting is okay, I mean, what's the answer? What's, what's the main thing? How can we, how can we educate people to where it's like, you know, hunting is not what, what you've been taught or what you think it is or what certain people say it is? Well, I try to do it. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to educate people, but in discussing it and people listening to these discussions, they kind of get a more nuanced, balanced perspective. And I know for a fact that there's a lot of people that post on my message board that have talked about how they had one opinion of hunting before the podcast and a completely different opinion of it now. And they also never factored in the hypocrisy of wearing leather, Mm -hmm. having a leather couch, leather seats in your car, leather jacket, and then complaining about hunting. They, they don't, they're, we're disconnected, and that disconnection has led us to be like spoiled little kids. We don't understand where all this is coming from. We don't have a direct interaction with the food itself. And when you do have a direct interaction with the food itself, when you've killed the animal yourself, the whole process is a completely different thing. I, I, you know, I'm eating an animal that I stalked, shot, butchered, sliced up, put into packages, vacuum sealed it, put it in my freezer, thawed it out, cooked it, ate it. From A to Z, Mm -hmm. it's been in my hands. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different experience than 99% of anyone who eats meat is ever going to have. And I encourage people, I think if you could do it, if you have the time, I think a lot of people don't know where to start. That's one thing. Yeah. They don't. yeah, I'm dealing, I've got some friends right now. There's three of them that are just starting starting out hunting. Last year, they killed their first deer. You know, and it's it's funny to it's not I say funny. It's it's interesting to see their their evolution because they're mm-hmm. like searching YouTube for everything. They're like, well, how would you do this? How would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do it. They're like, well, they had to search on YouTube to find out how to gut a deer, and so they have this little video clip of them gutting this deer and, and trying to take it all apart. It's the funniest thing, but it's like. Well, these are grown men figuring it out on their own. There's mm-hmm. nobody out there to teach them. There's no schools that are just like, hey, you want to be a hunter? Come to my school. You know, yeah. pay tuition, do this. And it's like, if you want to learn, it's got to be hands-on. It's got to, you've got to have a mentor. Or you've got to have, because I get emails like that all the time. How do I get started? How, I live in, I live in uh, Arizona and I hunt these mountain ranges. How do I find the deer? Because I spend countless hours trying to find deer. How, how would you hunt this area? I don't know. I don't live there. You well, know? Not, you'd have to. There's a lot of information yeah, they're asking yeah. for too. You'd have to go there. You'd have to tell them. And well, how much do you know? You'd have to explain to them yeah. what deer habitat is, where they where they nest, where they bed rather. Yeah. And there's also, it's interesting, but it's sort of there's a comparison to be made for you learning how to use computer software mm-hmm. to edit video. Mm-hmm. You just taught yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you want to do it, you just got to kind of figure it out and teach yourself. And the cool thing about today is you can watch those YouTube right. videos. I mean, in, back in the day, what would you have done? You've gotten a book or something and try to like look at the diagrams. Do and what I did. You bo- start cutting. Bloody and hands and... Yeah, start and cutting could, stuff comes out. You can fuck things up like that. Just start mm-hmm. cutting, right? Yeah, you, could, you know, Screw get, mess yourself up, yeah. and you get the tarsal glands all over the meat and smell like shit. And you know, there's a lot of people that ruin meat because they don't understand the proper preparation and how to take care of it once they actually kill an animal. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a lot to it, and I think talking about it is real good. I think it's important to have guys like you on and Ranella and Cameron Haynes and, and Jim Shockey when he comes on. To, so people get an understanding of who these people are that actually are hunters. 
that they're not those flannel shirt wearing yokels that you mm-hmm. see in these really cartoonish and character, uh, you know, caricature, caricature, what's the word? Caricature. Caricature? Caricature. Yeah. Why am I saying caricature? Caricature. Hmm. The caricatures of, of hunters, these cartoonish shitheads. I think, yeah, I think you're smart by having somebody like Shockey because he's at, he's at a different... He's a different person than me or Steve or Remy or, or Cameron. You know, we're, we're different than what he is. He's something special in that even if you took that man outside of the hunting industry and put him into something else, if he was an oil man or, say, if he was a cattle man or whatever, he's got a personality about him and a philosophical way of speaking and knowledge about him that he's going to educate people just based off of what he knows and how he's going to say something. Mm-hmm. I mean, he and I could say the exact same things, but the way he says it, you're going to be like, damn. I, I get that. Right. The way I say it, you're going to be like, the guy's a fool. You know? Tim, you're a little but, hard on yourself. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm trying to build up Shockey here. I mean, I know the guy needs every bit of it he can get, <laughs> right? You know, guys like me, we got it all. It's like, no. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I'm glad you're having him, and I'm going to, mm-hmm. it's definitely a podcast I'm going to be tuning into because I like his philosophy behind not only hunting, but life, and also behind, you know, family and everything else. Yeah, I, I do think, as well. I think, he's a, I think he's a great person for that, you know, and. and I think it's. Gonna, I think that's the type of person that, for broad society, is your spokesperson. Well, somebody I think like that. Renella is, is, is a great one as well because he's yeah. so well read. He's a great writer and super he's educated. A, super that. educated and a guy who yeah. really truly cares about environments. Really truly cares about hunting. Really truly cares about conservation. And he's a guy that's in fucking fantastic shape. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I went hunting with him, and uh, the one thing that I was blown away with is how physically demanding hunting is. Mm-hmm. Like, hiking, I looked at hiking, and I'm like, that's for fucking people don't really work out. Bunch of pussies. It's walking, but uphill. It's, it's no, no fucking hard, man. <laughs> Especially when you're holding a rifle, so you're not swinging your arms. Did you got a pack on. Like, you get exhausted quick. Did and you have to pack your deer out, or was it like in an area where you didn't have to break it down and put it in your pack? Uh, what do you mean? Your deer when you hunted in Montana? Oh, no. Did you have to break yeah. it down and pack it out on your back? And yeah, your we, had, and we we well, there's three of us. It was me, Callan, and Renella. So gotcha. my friend Brian Callan. Okay. So when we went to get my deer, we had it. We we shot it that night, gutted it, uh, took the liver and the heart, cooked that that night, and then put it up in a tree. We hung it in a, in a gotcha. juniper tree. So we went there to get it in the morning because it was kind of late. And uh, we had seen some mountain lion shit in the area. It was kind of disconcerting. Nice. This big ropey shit filled with Yeah, hair. but the mountain lions have been hunted in that area, so they probably wouldn't even come close to you. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like those you fucking hope, things. Yeah. I've seen two mountain lions in Have my you life. really? Yeah. You haven't? Here, well, you're in California, I guess. No, so. never shot one. Yeah. I lived I in Colorado. Yeah, you did. I saw the picture on you on, uh, oh. on the social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, this, they, I killed it with Rambo. a belt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what I heard. So silly. I heard my, you took my your own, gi off and strangled it. My know? own sister asked me if I killed a mountain lion. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what the fuck do you think? Uh, kill a mountain yeah. lion with a belt? You kidding me? Kill a house cat with a belt. <laughs> Try to get yeah. a house cat, hold on to that fucker, and kill it with a belt. That thing will scratch <laughs> your eyes out. <laughs> Yeah. It's a 150-pound house cat. Are you fucking yeah. crazy? Uh, I've seen two. I saw one in Colorado uh, really briefly. It's just like Both of them have been about the same size, like 60, 70 pounds, like uh-huh. dog-sized. And the other one I saw in Montecito, which is like a residential area in Santa Barbara. I was driving down the street. We saw this thing run across the street. And at first we thought it was a coyote. Then I saw the tail. His tail's like mm. bobbing around. I'm like, oh, shit, that's a cat. Oh, and it had a more of a bouncy way of like coyotes have that sort of stiff, yeah, fucking creepy, scared to death, shitty yeah. way of running. You ever seen a coyote sleep? No, that's because they don't. 
they're too used to getting shot at and chased down. I'm, can mm. you imagine being a coyote? That's like the worst life ever. It's a sucky life, <laughs> other than like a rabbit. I'd rather be a rabbit than a coyote. For real? Because people have rabbits for pets? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're dirty. They're stinky fucking little animals. I got a coyote uh, cushion at home, like a, a pillow that's covered <sighs> in coyote skin. It's gross. It's like sleeping so on why a do you dog. Have it? My wife bought it. It's not mine. <laughs> She's like, I like coyotes. <clears throat> well, she, she ordered like a couple different kinds of animal skins that were converted into pillows. And for whatever reason, she hates coyotes. So for whatever reason, she got a coyote one. Yeah. She's like, babe, I brought home this uh, this animal skin couch. That's a sheep, babe. <laughs> it's a sheep tarp. Well, we have chickens. We have uh, 24 chickens. So we have this uh, fenced-in area where the coyotes are oh, trying man. to figure out how to get to the chickens. So we'll find them near our backyard all the time. Mm. And she loves these chickens. She takes care of them. So she particularly hates coyotes because <laughs> they're always mm. trying to figure out a way to sneak in. You know, and they've killed dogs in our neighborhood before. You know, they'll, they'll snatch one off a leash. I have a friend who lives in uh, Brentwood, which is another residential area, and his neighbor was walking her dog. She had like a little dog walk, and she heard click, 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 no click, 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 click. She didn't know what it was. She thought it was like a dog, you know, behind her. And the coyote just ran up, snatched the dog right off of her fucking leash, and ran. That's she, a hungry dog. That's a hungry coyote. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was running away with her dog. Like the dog was just trying to, and she's screaming, and the leash is being dragged behind, and it's just running with her dog. Oh, it's you sad. Know. Yeah, sad. it's sad and weird. It's yeah. weird that this, those creepy predators are wandering around, and it just decided to bust a move. Like, this is the time. Yeah. Time to yeah, take that dog Yeah, I got bit by a, a coyote. You did, did you really? Yeah, yeah. I was... Uh, I don't know. Trying 11th, to fuck it. 11th, and, uh, it just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, 11th grade. 11th grade. It Whoa. Was, yeah, it was, it was uh, a long time ago, but I was doing the dishes and look outside. It was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm and looking. We lived in a trailer park, so the trailer next door, there was a, there was a coyote underneath, underneath there just batting around, playing around with uh, some toys and all kinds of balls and stuff. So I get out, and I had a 22. I go around the back side, and I see him. And he jumped up at the clothes on the clothesline, and I rifled like two or three at him, and I missed. He ran straight into the woods. I went back in. I had a freaking rabbit call, like a distress call. Whoa. I, yeah, I shot back probably 200 yards, and I got up against a tree, and I started blowing that freaking thing. And sure shit, that thing came running right at me, and he backed me up against the tree, and I lift my, my uh, foot up, and he latched right onto my boot. And I shot him point blank, and I emptied out the whole the whole entire clip. Whoa! Yeah, and it thing smelled uh, like skunk really bad. Smelled like a coyote. But yeah, and a it, there's a lot of hair missing off of it. But though it was weird because that week before I had uh, two two little dachshunds in the family, and I let, we used to let them outside, no leash. They go take a shit, come back. Only one came back, Oof. and uh, we think that maybe. He, you know, he may have taken. Yeah, took most our, likely, right? Yeah, we never got it back. Last week in Silicon Valley, a mountain lion viciously mauled a six-year-old boy. <sighs> Some kid was hiking with his parents, and uh, the the kid was behind them, and a mountain lion came up behind, attacked the kid. The parents yelled at it and screamed and chased after the mountain lion and just like tried to hit it, and it, it dropped the kid and ran off. But the kid got fucked up. Yeah, I heard that. They they scared it away, but uh, so then they uh, set hunters loose on this uh, cat and dogs and everything like that. And they they you know this is another another issue that they have with mountain lions in California because they're not hunting them. Yeah, 
That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's crazy how people have this idea that they're these beautiful things. And they are beautiful. They're they're mm-hmm. they're interesting. They're fascinating. But you gotta keep those fuckers in check. <laughs> you know? And, and that's a real issue with people that don't understand wildlife. They just have these liberal points of view that's based on no reasoning, no logic, not a balanced perspective, no real true understanding of wildlife. Their understanding is just based on what they think is right, what they think is, it's, you leave them alone, there's natural animals. Yeah, and then you go hiking, and you're going to get eaten, you fuck. Do you yeah. understand that? They're big, giant monsters. Yeah. If those were werewolves, you would be sending packs of fucking military people in the woods to try to kill the werewolf. Well, a mountain lion's way fucking scarier than a werewolf, because it's not just a mountain lion one day out of the month. Okay, the wolf man turns into the wolf man when the full moon comes out. Mountain lions wake up every morning a mountain lion. I'm a mountain lion. I'm yeah. going to kill something. And they kill big things with their face. They're used to killing deer and elk and shit that runs really fast, and they kill it with their face. And you're, you're content with those things wandering around because they just look beautiful. That's Damn. ridiculous. I'm not saying that we should wipe them off the face of the earth, but we should come really close. <laughs> there should be like four left. <laughs> yeah. yeah, four left. All of them in Oklahoma. Yeah, leave them with Oklahoma with tags on. That we, we have a fucking a group of scientists that are monitoring their, uh, yeah, their exactly. progress on a screen. Whenever yeah. they come anywhere near a person, it's really a drone you know, in. Hunters, I think hunters would be glad to take the place of the mountain lions and keeping the population in check for yes. sure. Yes, yes, and, yeah. and, and eat that meat. And, you know, use it for people. I'm on team people. You know, I like people. Team man? Team human. That's right. Yeah, like like people way better than other animals. I think yep. animals are amazing. No. People are way better. You can talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> they make you laugh. You hang out with them. There are species. You breed with them. They live in your neighborhood. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. You can breed with animals. The pe- you can't, oh. though. You can't. You can no, breed no. them, but you can't. Even if you fuck them, nothing happens other than you get happy. <laughs> I promised my wife I'd keep everything straight. Impossible you know? on this show. <laughs> I know. Did you like, promise her? No, nah, I didn't. <laughs> I told Mark. Mark's like, I'm like, Mark, you know, when we get to talking, I have a tendency to dip a little bit. I'm like, you need to keep me on that level plane. Don't let me. What go does that mean? <laughs> dip what? I, I like good humor. I like good humor. Mm-hmm. Tim you can know? get raw. Are I you can't trying get raw? Are you worried <laughs> about your your perception? The perception of people. No, no, I'm not worried about my perception of people because uh, you know people are going to think of you what they what they do, right? You know, but I I I worry about me. You know, I I have a perception of myself that I that I like to maintain. You know, right? But, which is which has been, and I believe is is it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. when you meet me face to face, it's the exact same as when you meet me anywhere else. You know, well, I'm you're not the same guy from that show. You're yeah. the same guy from your yeah. show. Yeah, I think you know, I think I'm more of a badass in real life than I am on the show, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it won't I, wa- I watched back of the editing, you know, like I'm combing through some of the footage that I just filmed last week. I'm like, man, I got my guts hanging over my belt and I'm like, I'm talk, I slurred over my, my voice and everything and I'm like, I just don't look tough, you know, and I'm like, I'm tough. <laughs> Whenever you it's say it like that, I'm tough. I'm tough, man. It's tough to convince yeah, I don't people. Ha- you know, I don't have that, you know, I don't have that deep raspy voice and stuff so it's like you know yeah we're all we're all we're all 
tougher in our own minds. You don't, you know, you don't have to project it. <laughs> everybody thinks they do, but when you try, just yeah. something. Else. If you try to, if you try to create your brand and who you are and what you think you want people to think of you as, you're just gonna be a doof. You you're know? a douchebag. You just gotta yeah. be yourself. Yeah. yeah. So. I like how you went with doof, but I know what you were trying to <laughs> because say. Because I didn't want to go. I didn't want to dip. I wanted to keep that even yeah. plan. It's you know? a douchebag. Because yeah. I did post a picture today. You know, last night of the had the word douchebag in it. And did so you? I felt yeah. You got in I, trouble? No, I just kind of second thought it a little bit. I'm like, I just posted that. Should I have done that? You know, and it's like, what's wrong with douchebag? Because it's really how I feel. You know, it's really how I felt about the man. So it's like that. Who was the douchebag? What was it about? He's running our country. You know. Oh, Obama. It was. It was a bumper sticker on this truck. It said it had. It had uh, douchebag with the Obama with the president's emblem <laughs> as the O, and then underneath it, the guy was selling his truck, so he had written in soap for sale. So I just I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, douchebag for sale. Click, and so I I post this, not even thinking, and it's like, oh, is the CIA going to come after? Because I've seen stuff that guys post or whatever, and they're like, eh, they shut down my Facebook page or whatever, and it's like they can do that, and it's so they weird. Can but if you criticize uh, the president too harshly, or yeah. if there's any threat whatsoever of violence, like I'm going to kick the president's ass, they'll come after. They should you too. Though. Yeah. you know what they should but so i i because you know i'm a nice guy i'm on the, on the outward side i'm a nice guy at home i'm a nice guy whatever but i'm a badass on the mountain i'll tell you that i see what you're saying yeah i see what you're saying <laughs> the second amendment is a is a funny issue when it comes to obama because there was this uh they had this recording of him doing this speech and talking about guns and he was talking about how people want to keep their guns they'll never they're never going to let you take their guns and I'm like, what a weird thing it is where people, representative government, where, where people are elected, they get into a position of power, and then they look at people and they say things like, they're never going to let you take their guns. They're going to like, why would you, why do you, what are you trying to do? Like, why are you trying to take their guns? If you're just a person and what you are as a president, you're, yes, you're the leader of the country, yes, you're the commander in chief and all that, but essentially you're just a person. Right. So if you're a person, why are you trying to take away other people's guns? Do you think that people shouldn't have guns because they're all dangerous? Because statistically, that's a real tough statistics argument. Statistics don't matter to people like that. I know they don't. They don't care. Well, that's why those people are ridiculous. In anybody in, in that sort of a position that has that sort of a point of view, like, you, if you're going to be the fucking president of the United States, you got to be able to back up everything you say with logic and science. And right. if you look at the amount of people we have in this country, there's 350 million motherfuckers in this country, okay? Not all of them are motherfuckers, but some of them, good and bad. 350 million people in this country. There's probably 350 million guns. Half of them are gun owners. Yeah. Statistically speaking, half of them are gun owners. Probably. Then look at how many people are actually getting killed by guns. The number is ridiculously low, which means that most people are really good at controlling themselves. Most people have cars, and they don't just drive into crowds of people. But some people occasionally do. If enough people do that, are we going to take away cars? The thing of it is, is like you could have those people sitting here across from you, and you can be explaining to them, and you can have the statistical data, and you can have the proof and the facts and everything. They're still not going to care. They don't don't care. care. Because there's more to it than just doing what's right and doing what is statistically fact mm-hmm. it's there's always a an agenda behind it there's something that they want to push well is it control is it that they just want to control people or, or what is it who knows but when you look at everything that like like the government is doing and even small things of something as simple as giving out twelve thousand bayonets to the police force what are you trying to do create your own your own army are you waiting for a civil war i mean what's what's going on here why are yeah, you buying yeah they provided the armies or the uh, local police 
local police. And I, and you know, I'm probably speaking out of turn here because I don't know all the facts or whatever, but it's like 12,000 bayonet. What do you need a bayonet for anyway? This isn't, this isn't the world war. Yeah, we're not numb. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. But then it's like, well, you bought how many millions of rounds of ammunition, you know? So it's like, well, there's all the conspiracy theories and all that kind of thing. But you sit back and you think, you're like, why are they doing that? You know, what what's going on here? What are they trying to create? Or what are they, why did they decimate, you know, the military? Why did they fire all these commanders that that, that did such a badass job of taking, taking out the bad guy? You know, why did you pull out of Iraq? Why did you do all these... There's there's always something more to it than just fact and data and numbers and what's right and what's wrong. There's it's it's man, you know. There, there's power, hunger, or something to it. There's a lot to, of public. To me, there's something issues. freaky about it. I don't. I, there's something sick going on that I don't get. In what way? It just nothing makes sense. Wouldn't you think that if you're the, if you're the leader of of the country, you would do things that the majority of people would think make sense? Like what what doesn't make sense to you? I think what doesn't make sense to me is pushing, like, say, take the immigration issue. Mm-hmm. I heard a statistic the other day, whether it's right or wrong, that 9 million people in the greater L.A. area, potentially half of them illegal. There's more than 9 million people here, right? And there's it, like was 20, some, it was like the greater 20. L.A. city area. Mm-hmm. So it was a smaller, whatever it was. Okay. They, they, they used the number 9 million. They said, they said potentially there's there's ha- up to half of those are illegal right or not documented which to me is like well that's one city mm-hmm. but why would they allow the people to come across the border just so openly and now it's like as a parent i have a kid in school and if they're putting these people and busing them all across the country and, and letting these people go in school without even asking their ages or having to go through medical checks like my kids do or any of those types of things it's like What's the reasoning behind that? It's not a humanitarian. You know, if you were humanitarian, you'd block the block the damn border off and, and not let people come across and experience all that, you know, suffering. But then as me, as the humanitarian, little bit of humanitarian that I have in me, it's like, man, if I'm in that position, I'm coming across the border too and I'm working here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm providing my family with a better situation. Yeah. But as a, man, government, a managing government, managing a country, to me, it just doesn't make sense that you would allow Open borders. Open well, side. I don't think it's totally open. I mean, it's difficult to get over here. They risk their lives. It's very tough. to And I know what you're saying, but I also think that politically, it's if you want Democratic votes, um, the more lenient you are towards people coming across this border, the, the more lenient you are towards illegals, Latinos, giving them rights, giving them education, giving mm-hmm. them the ability to drive cars or maybe even possibly vote. That's going to be very advantageous if you're a Democrat. If you're a liberal and if that's what your your agenda is, that's what you're trying to pursue. It's interesting in um, Republican circles, Cubans are almost all Republican. I mean, there's a massive, not all, obviously, but like Miami has a large population of very conservative Latinos. It's a completely different mm. sort of environment. Very Republican, very conservative it's a, it's a completely different setup than they have with uh, Latinos or Mexicans in L.A. And a lot of it is to do with what they've experienced in Cuba and, you know, how the hardships that they encountered in a communist land mm-hmm. and coming over to America and realizing the opportunities and what, what you can accomplish here. And what's going on with Americans and Mexico 
the disparity between California and Mexico is so vast and the distance is so small that it creates this really weird environment where like I was in San Diego uh, a couple weeks ago and I was joking around about how nice everybody is in San Diego. One of the reasons why they're so nice is because you can walk to a third world country like they know how good they got it. Right. If you want to get confused, you want to think that, uh, hey, man, the world's all shit. No, 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 no. You're in fucking San Diego, dude. This is awesome. Why don't let's go for a walk? You and I are going to walk. It'll take us about an hour. We'll be in Tijuana, and then you're going to see something that's not good. Right. You're going to see this is what happens when you don't have taxes and the United States government and this, the school system that we have. This is what these people are trying to escape. And as a human being, when I go there and I see that environment, I want to. I want to. You know, say hey, you know, they should be able to do whatever the fuck they want. They should be mm. able to come over here, but they also should be able to figure out how to. Someone should engineer that society better. Someone should figure out how to make that culture at least as accessible or as advantageous as the American culture. I don't know. Right, and I think that's where I'm talking worse, is is they should be doing that rather than just saying, well, if you can't have it there, come here and, and do it here then. Yeah, you know, for be- the individuals. Because you can't in Mexico. Do it. As an individual, yeah. I'm doing exactly what they're doing. I'm coming well. across and I'm, yeah. I'm working and I'm doing whatever I can to provide for my family. And we know and interact, you know, there in Reno, I know and interact with a lot of people that – with within some of the the churches and stuff where it's like they've they've come here to better their lives mm-hmm. and you can't hold them you can't it's hard to look at them and say well yeah but you broke the law so you got to go back right. you can't do that no because you want as a whole you want people to have what i have you want people to, to be able to succeed it just sucks that their country doesn't see that you know right. it hasn't done that but does that mean that our country has to be have liberal open policy or relatively open policies where they're like if you don't have it there, come here. We'll give it to you. But do you know, we? We'll they they don't really say that, though. I mean, you do have to go through the border, and it's fucking hard. It's not easy to get from Mexico. Probably back not to as America. hard as it used to be. Really? Know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a guy that spends a lot of time in the wild. I could probably, I could, I, I'm not going to say that I could get across the border. But kids, well, women, could. women and children, and, and people are getting across. They're getting across, and it's got to be hard. It's got to be difficult, and difficult. And some of the stuff that some of those kids, you know, have gone through, and that is devastating. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's disgusting. You wouldn't want to ever have to have your family have to go through that process. It's also, we're a nation of immigrants. Yeah. This whole nation was started by people who came from someone they didn't like and decided to try to make a better world here. And at what point does that get closed off? And who, who is that available? I don't think to? you ever what close it, it off. You don't ever close it off. I don't think. But it's you hard know, for yeah. people that come from Mexico to like legally immigrate to America. It's very yeah. difficult. They make it hard. And you have to have some reason why they should have you here. If you're a scholar and you're coming from Norway, it takes time. You know, you have to go through all sorts of checkpoints. There's right. a lot of a lot of things have to happen. I've I've had friends from Canada that wanted to get green cards to to work in America, and you know, white people that speak perfect English that are well educated, and it's hard. It's yeah. it's not that easy to get a green card. I'm just glad that I produce outdoor television and I don't have to deal with it. You know, yeah. I don't have to do it you know, or manage it or that kind of thing. Obviously, we all deal with it in, in wherever we live in that. But It's also it's yeah. weird when you got half the population's illegal. What do you, is it, you want to make half the people criminals? <clears throat> I can't. There should be some sort of a way that they could you know, contribute as well because a lot of them are not paying taxes. Well, so it's, even, it's more advantageous to make them citizens didn't reagan do that for 12 for how many million nine million or something they said okay amnesty everybody that's here yeah i I believe they did reagan i thought it was reagan i'm I'm, not a bad again i'm just going on what i hear off the radio you know i'm just the uneducated white hunter guy you know bubba (laughs) but it's like you know they they did that at one time and now it's built up where they're 
there's almost no way around it that they're going to have to do it again. And mm-hmm. unless there's stop measures to keep it from happening again, it's going to be 20, 30 years down the road, it'll happen again. It's know? a compassion but, issue in a lot of ways because when people are in an undeniably shitty environment like you know Juarez, Mexico, and they want to get out and they see San Antonio is right mm-hmm. over there and everybody's I'm doing, doing the same great. thing. I would same do the thing. same thing. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, the, the real issue is like why are borders there? Why, why, are, why are nations there? What is, what, it's, it gets real tricky. It gets, yeah. It's a very complex issue. I'm going to keep hunting. I'm just going to keep <laughs> doing what I do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to try a podcast. I'm just going to do what I do. When you're on top of a mountain with the, yeah. just a camera and a rifle. How many cameras do you take when you go do that? You know, I used to take several. Now I just take one main camera, which I use a DSLR camera that'll take stills and video, and then I have one GoPro. But That's it? Anymore, I find that I don't use the GoPro hardly ever. The only the main reason I'm using the GoPro now is because I had so many people calling BS on me. They're like, there's no way you're filming that. You've got a cameraman, whatever. I'm like... I'll show you. So I mounted a thing off the back of my camera, my main camera, that is just basically a stick that I have a GoPro on. So you can see me. I mean, there's there's an instance in one of the episodes that was on this year where you see me you like fumbling. I have to take a lens off. I put another one on. I spin the camera in the GoPro. You can see the elk coming up. And then you see me reach up, focusing it, turning it, clipping onto the bow, and then shooting it. You know, like it, everything happens just that fast. And it's like, there, take that, stick it in your ear. You know, I filmed this all myself. And but it's it's because kind of a personal challenge that way where it's like yeah it can be done and, and, it, and it adds more of a challenge to the hunt and to me it's it's in a case like that i didn't get nervous about making the shot on the elk i just drew back i didn't even range it drew back naturally just boom and the same thing happened with a deer that year same thing drew back boom because my brain was on the cameras uh-huh. my mind was on what i had to do with the cameras to get everything right and so hunt mode was natural because i'm i'm a natural hunter i grew up as a hunter from the time i was a kid so that that motion just took over whereas if the cameras weren't there and i'm just thinking and i have time to watch that elk come up and i'm clipping on and i'm like okay where am i going to shoot him and i'm trying to range him and get a distance and you're trying to do all these things that you're supposed to do as a hunter and then it's in your head that 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 you've got to do all this and so right. when you anchor back your mind might not be right. You might be nervous. I might be shaken because there's been times where, I mean, elk's coming in. I'm literally just shaken, mm-hmm. whether it's an elk or a deer, and I'm just physically just I can't control. So it. jacked up, with yeah, adrenaline. because it's yeah. like it's almost like a fear, adrenaline. Holy crap, this is happening. Whatever. I mean, I remember as a kid sitting in a tree stand for elk, and uh, the guys that taught me how to bow hunt. I was 13 years old, and they're like, "Yeah, best way just go get in this stand and just wait for the elk to come into the water hole." shoot i'm a 13 year old kid up there by myself and you hear this herd of elk coming in so you have 50 (laughs) you know 800 to a thousand pound animals coming in screaming chasing each other and and just you just freeze and i could i was shaking so bad that that platform on the stand was like (laughs) and i was like hold it together man hold it together man you know and it's like that's what you get when an animal comes in and I, i don't know what what gives you that adrenaline rush is it the fact that you know you can kill it i don't think so i think it's just the fact that this wild animal is getting close you know it's something anticipation yeah, it's just, just there's so many factors same thing when you go you know you're getting off the ski lift and you 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 know you strap on the snowboard and you know you're going to go off this this one run that you just looked at as you're coming up the the hill you're like i'm going down that and then you get there and you're like holy crap this is scary man i don't know if i want to do this or not but yeah, i think it's that, that feeling and the elk like, thing mm. is more so even I get more out of it because that's more me. You know, I get more of a thrill out of elk. And it's, you know, 
hunting and golf that's kind of my two things outside of family and it's like i get excited over that you know you hit you hit just a just a killer iron and you're just watching that thing fall and it's just kind of cutting into there and you're like you get that feeling a little bit that could go in the hole you know or that's going to get close that's kind of the same thing but with hunting it's like that much more amplified because it's a live thing you know it's a live event and you don't have any control over that that elk could come in and do whatever yeah anticipation and build up for one moment and also the amount of work involved in getting up there and it's like all for this one moment Mm -hmm. ready don't fuck it up don't fuck it up but what people don't see too is on tv you know i posted a a comment on on instagram the other day was like you know for you guys information hunting's not as easy as it looks on social media and on television you know, which to me is a simple comment, but people are like, oh, that's so true, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, I might be on the mountain for nine days not seeing an animal. Like on that moose hunt, I saw one moose before I shot my moose. So you're there for f- 10, 12 days not seeing anything. All of a sudden, there's a moose, bang. Whoa, crap, that just happened. You know, <laughs> it's like, wow. So that's hunting. That's the reality of it. Whereas on TV, you see six, eight minutes of me traveling. And I was, oh, dang, he killed a moose. That's awesome, you know. That moose show was wild, the one where uh, you shot the moose and then it started floating down the river. Yeah, he wasn't in the river, but yeah, he was just, yeah. he was just, he was in the, the marsh. So where he was standing, it was like knee deep. And then he kind of went back in the willows. And so I had to actually go in the willows and pull him out because the boat, we tied him onto the boat and tried to get the boat to pull him out, but it wasn't happening. So I had to go in and filled my waders. I'm just tugging on, when it's on the video, I, mean, I put the GoPro on my head and I'm just, I had to just basically just leverage and get this moose broke out of the willows to where the water was deep enough where it would float and i don't know how i did it physically i don't have how much does it weigh oh that's a 12 1400 pound animal that's a big big animal 1400 pounds i don't know how i did it it had to have been adrenaline because the moment we got him and tethered to the boat and floated over the sandbar i was uh, people don't realize i was closer to death right then on any than any other hunt that i've ever been on I was so hypothermic that I had to get off the boat and I literally just took all my clothes off and just piled on a, one dry coat that I had and, and uh, a pair of pants. And I ran up and down the sand bar back and forth because it, it started out like kind of a hunched over little, little trudge. And it, it took me about 40 minutes before I generated enough body heat to get myself out of that hyperthermic state Whoa. because I was so, I was so cold because I was so excited about the moose that I just jumped in and I'm like, yeah, look at my moose, you're whatever. In the water. My waders filled up everything and you're in water that's, you know, just comes off of the, the glaciers up there, probably 34, 35 degree water, maybe, maybe a little warmer. I don't know. I didn't have a thermometer, but it's damn cold. So it just got me so close to the point where my body was starting to just really get crazy and i was not thinking right the only thing that i could think of because everything was so wet was just to run and so i just ran up and down the sand just back and forth and back and you're and by forth. yourself no i had ted you had that, ted one, guy was, that yeah, one. one guy yeah wow that's scary as fuck man hypothermia kills a lot of people it's a lot of folks it's don't a know slow killer yeah you get to the point that's why i tell people I'm like it's a lot easier to stay warm than to get warm so mm. if you start to feel a chill put a coat on you know don't get yourself wet. All the other things. thing about hard hiking, too, when you're hoofing it up the mountains is you start sweating. Yeah. That's why wool's so important. People don't, um, uh, many people who don't go into those environments and don't understand, like, how you can start sweating when it's really cold out, don't know how great wool is. Yeah, wool's awesome. Amazing. I like some, there's some great synthetics out there, too, that, that wick the moisture away from your body. Mm-hmm. Like wool? Same well, way? Well, I like, you know, I, I grew up as a wool guy. Everything was all wool, 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 wool. Well, a lot of synthetics, they'll pull it away from your body and then they'll dry fast. Really? Wool, wool's going to pull it away from your body. And the, the cool thing about wool is even when it's wet, it's going to keep you warm. Mm-hmm. 
but it doesn't dry real fast. Whereas the synthetics, synthetics will pull it away, but then they'll dry fast too. Why does it dry faster? Just the, it's just the fiber, just the fabric. I don't think it holds the moisture as as well, but it pulls it away. It's like a more closed off. Yeah, moisture wool is still amazing because if you can't get dry, wool's still going to keep you warm. Yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, but it's heavy and bulky. I mean, I don't know. There's there's some good stuff. You guys mentioned first light. That's some amazing stuff. But you know, I've grown to to where. Probably about 10 years ago, I moved away from wool and into synthetics just because the technology was there that was started getting better. and Because it's lighter? Yeah. Now I'm with Under Armour, so it's you know, obviously. And Under Armour. But they... even them, they've got some clothing that we prototyped this last fall that was a kind of a wool acrylic blend that was pretty amazing, pretty good stuff. So Really? Mm-hmm. A wool acry- acrylic blend? Yeah, we Is just announced. Yeah, it's not necessarily, it's, it's similar texture and feel to, to the wool, but, you know, you combine that with some of the synthetic base layers and that, and it's, you've just got a really hardy, durable fabric that can be, you know, replicated and printed on and all kinds of different things. But That's a consideration that you have to uh, really uh, plan out, right? Like how much weight you're carrying, mm. like what, how much stuff do you actually need? You take you take what you need, and uh, that's it. I mean, there's no reason to take any comforts. I mean, that's one of the things that I that I probably should be better at. Like, I hate sleeping on the ground when I when I hunt. I'm miserable. Like at night, I I basically just roll from one side of the next, one side of the next, because I can't sleep. Because I'm like, I'm not taking that two pound pad. I'm gonna take it take the 16 ounce pad instead you know thinking mm-hmm. one pound well it's like you know what i've got seven pounds around my stomach that i that i'm carrying around that i shouldn't be carrying around either right but we all get so caught up into the weight that you know you you kind of neglect certain things and that's important when you're going on a backcountry pack trip where you're going to be in several days and that weight weight's a big deal because when you start hiking up a mountain you're just thinking i mean i know i do i'm thinking in my mind what could i have left out of my pack you know what could have made this trip lighter because if you don't have a pack it's a lot easier to get up the mountain but you you got to be comfortable or you're going to hike your butt back up the mountain do you too, wear so. like a lightweight boot too i do i'm a light i'm super lightweight boot all the time even in rugged country i like a really lightweight boot i've never i'm the kind of guy i've never sprained an ankle never never had any knee or any ankle issues i've had knee issues but that really doesn't have anything to do with the boot but it's like I like lightweight. I like maneuverability, and just I feel more feel more mobile. I don't like the big, heavy rock mountain boots, you know. And I've mm-hmm. I've worn them a lot, a lot, but they're just rigid, and I just feel like my legs get tired, and I just can't move. But when I have a light boot that's more like a sneaker, I don't think my legs get as tired, and I can just yeah. Do what that's I need to do. what I'm thinking because I'm going um, uh, hunting in Alaska first week of October, and uh, I had these uh, these heavy schnees yeah they're, good they're like boot big, great boot. heavy boots they're mm-hmm. real they're excellent waterproof and everything like that yeah. but man I, I went hiking with them recently trying to break them in i'm like my fucking legs well, get try, tired try drying leather when it's raining a bunch too i mean it's, it's hard but that th- that boot is made for that environment that's mm-hmm. the type of boot that's made for that you know there's some synthetics out there too that that might dry a little easier than that but i've always been one where it's like you know i just I, I don't have issues with blisters, you know, I, I, I don't, I just, I'm just lucky that way. I haven't ever had to deal with that when I wear a pair of my lightweight, uh, you know, Under Armors, my Speed Freaks or whatever. It's like I, I wore them, I'm in my, you know, halfway through my second season on one pair of boots, which typically I go through a pair of boots easy in a season, but this lightweight pair of Speed Freaks, I've had it in the snow, 
you know, the shale, the those Under Armour speed freaks. Under Armour speed freaks. When you these ones are prototypes, I don't know if it's the actual speed freak. It's a prototype boot they sent me last year. Oh, it's year, like a new product. Yeah. That's kind of be cool. That's awesome. That's one cool thing about you know I've been on knocking on Under Armour's door for three or four years, and last year I was fed up. I was like, you know what, these guys are never going to give me the time of day. They're cool guys and everything, but they're looking for bigger fish. And so this is probably the first time they've heard that too. Is like I I got rid of all my Under Armour gear. And uh, was decked out with another brand. They decked me out everything, head to toe, everything. So I was like, I was all geared up to go on my first hunt in this other brand. And uh, then something just hit me. My wife's like, where'd you get all that camo? I told her the story. And she's like, what about Under Armour? And I go, I can't give up on Under Armour, can I? And she's like, you were going to give up on Under Armour? So I went to, I, I was leaving for my hunt. I went to Shields and I bought a pair of pants and a shirt, Under Armour pair of pants and a shirt. I went on my hunt. I killed this deer. While I was driving back, Kobe gave me a call and said, hey, things have developed. We've, we've got some stuff freed up. We'd really love to have you guys on board. So it's like, holy crap, I just about threw Under Armour away, you know, <laughs> just from that. But, it, but as a TV guy, it's like you want to have the best brands. You want to wear the guest, best gear and everything. But on the second part of it is got to pay the bills. you got to make it worth your while to do it because at the end of the day, I'm not doing it because I'm a passionate hunter. I'm doing it because I'm a businessman and I want to make a pile of loads of money. You know, and it just how happens to be a sport that I love and I'm passionate about, and that's going to help me be a better business person. A lot of people don't so. know that Under Armour does hunting gear. They're huge in the hunting world. You know, people think of them as terms of other athletics. Yeah, we're ju- they're just getting. We just announced uh, the coming soon of their new uh, Ridge Reaper Baron Baron Camel Pattern. B- Remy and I, and there's there's like six or eight of us nationwide that had these prototype clothings and that wore this camel pattern. Cameron's Cameron's got it as mm-hmm. well, and. Uh, they just announced that it's going to be releasing. I, I heard September 15th, one of the dates was thrown out, but they're going to be coming out with that uh, at, at uh, underarmor.com, the Ridge Reaper line, with the Baron camel pattern. Pretty sweet. Do you ever go out and realize that you fucked up, you should have brought more shit? Always. Really? <laughs> no, you, yeah, yeah, like that's what? happened. And it's also gone the other way, too, where I've gone there and I'm like, why did I bring this? Mostly camera stuff. I mean, I pack around this 5-pound, 11 thousand millimeter whatever 1100 millimeter lens that weighs like six pounds i pack that sucker everywhere and i never use it it's like why am i packing that thing and my spot and scope and all this it's like is there anything that you like when like if you haven't brought it with you like if you gone out there and go god why didn't i bring this is there anything like dangerous about that have you ever taken have you ever like taken a trip and not having enough clothing or not having enough yeah um survival shit I always have survival stuff with me. I carry a survival medic. It's just a little uh, super lightweight first aid kit, but it has survival tools with it too. You know, so I have that in every. I've got one in every backpack I use. That's just there. Like start fires. Yeah, and stuff thankfully I rarely have to use it. You know, and if I do use it, it's just more just for fun to start a fire or something. But it's there if I do need it. Um, I don't know when I've run into a situation where it's like, man, I wished I would have had this or that. Um, because it's such Not a unique yet. style of hunting. So few yeah. people do that that way where you go completely on your own. Well, and I grew up hunting with nothing. You know, I had a bow with piece of crap arrows and it was the cheapest thing we could find. And I hunted with that same bow. The bow that I bought when I was 14 was the first, I think when I had been 15, I bought that bow. I hunted with that until I was 
till I got into TV till 2004. Was so it a I, compound or a compound bow? Barely. It was a Polaris, a PSE Polaris that I bought that bow. It was like $109 or something. hundred feet per second. You, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> who knows, but I hunted with that thing. And then I got back, you know, out of college, I was hunting with that thing. And I got, I hunted with that clear till 2004 before I, I got a, a Matthews bow. And I'm like, Holy cow. There's a, there's a 12 years, you know, 15 year span of time there that I hunted with a piece of crap. And so I think that by me learning to get by with so little that it makes it easier for me when I do have good equipment, I can appreciate it that much more. And it's like, I can get by with just a good, just good equipment. The world of hunting bows and gadgets, right? Compound bows is that's the the one world where 10 years makes a giant leap. Whereas like with rifles 10 years ago, it's a rifle. You know, I mean, scopes are a little better, mm-hmm. but rifles essentially a rifle. Bullets are bullets, mm-hmm. but the the bows of ten years ago in comparison to the bows of today, I mean, they they are making these little incremental leaps like every year, where they're getting a little bit lighter, a little bit more feet per second, a little bit more accurate, a little bit mm-hmm. better tolerance. It's really kind of interesting to see the technology that's involved in compound bows, both for target shooting and for hunting. Yeah, and it's interesting. The, the bow company that I deal with, with G5 and Prime, is like G5 is an engineering firm. You know, they're an engineering company. So if anybody's going to know how to make something better and get the most out of a piece of iron, it's an engineering company. It's somebody that, that has that background. Mm-hmm. So that's what's really cool about them. And these companies are smart. They're not just going to just blow their wad on all their technology all at once. They're going to incrementally bring it out so they can have a new bow every year. And that seems to be like the craze right now is every every bow manufacturer has one or two new bows every year. And it's like, man, how, how do you keep up with that? Right. You know, how do you keep up with technology? But as a hunter, I'm kind of addicted to that. It's like, yeah, I like this bow, but in October, as soon as that new prototype bow comes out, I want it in my hand, you know, because we're addicted to that new, bigger, better batter, just like the iPhone 6. You know, Mark was telling me about that, and I'm like, you were mocking the iPhone 4? Yeah, I got an iPhone 4, you know. You have an I've iPhone had it, 4. I've had it for a, like forever. You with know? a crazy lens attachment that you put on your, uh, I've seen that too. You put it yeah. on a spot and scope and you can film it, right? What yeah, is that called? This is a thing? phone scope adapter and I've just gotten used to having it on my phone. Every once in a while I'll take my phone out and put it back in my life proof case. But then I reach in my pocket and I'm like, where's my handle? I'm missing my handle. But right. this is just an adapter. It goes onto a bayonet mount uh, sleeve so I can slide it over my spotting scope. Or and you can and zoom you can, in, you can video. Yeah, take pictures, and what's cool is you shoot a little video clip or take a photo, and bam, you post it to Instagram, wham, you're done, and that kind of stuff. It's That's pretty, pretty cool. cool. So you take a photo from straight from the spotting scope. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Yeah, digiscoping with it. And I just leave it in the case because, you know, my phone, I just like having that handle. It's just kind Convenient. of- Convenient. Yeah, I love it because when I take it off, I'm, like, missing it. And it's not that I, I don't use this phone scope other than when I'm hunting, so it's like- when you She's were talking, for, for folks that don't know what you're saying, uh, you, you were talking about ranging. These laser range finders are another really cool invention where you, you look into it, you press a button, it tells you the exact yardage. And for people who've never been hunting with bows before, never shot a bow before, they don't understand that like, there's a big difference between a scope on a rifle. A rifle's pretty good for a couple hundred yards, but a, a bow... There's a big difference between where it's going to hit at 20 yards versus where it's going to hit at 40 yards. Mm-hmm. And all of this is sort of crazy calculations on feet per second and where your yardage pins are. And it's uh, I, that was one thing that I really got into when I started uh, mm-hmm. playing with bows was how, how much you have to learn. 
like develop a, a site tape and mm-hmm. you know f- and 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 arrange things out and figure out like sighting in your bow and making sure everything's tuned up and it's, there's there's so so many weird adjustments that you have to make between 20 and 50 yards and how difficult it is to shoot something in mm-hmm. 50 yards yeah just a target you don't have a steady rest or a bipod like you do with a rifle i mean the bow you've got you've got your arm that's not very rigid to begin with holding it out there and you've got your other arm back here and so you're trying to anchor it mm-hmm. so and no magnification either no you, you can't there's there's some magnification scopes out there you know that you can put on there one or two power or six power whatever do to you wait, use make those your pins. i don't mm-hmm. i'm so old school when it comes to my equipment i mean it's just it's like I, i'll take a bow and, and i set up all my own equipment i don't take it into the the archery shops because everybody has their own way of doing things but I do it the way I learned, but I'll just put a peep sight, you know, sight it in. Well, guys are guys are all wrapped into these these super long range sights. Well, I'm a hunter, so I need a sight that's going to go from 20 to 80, you know, and, and I'm good. I don't need 120, 150. You mean these uh, rolling? Yeah, single I mean, it'd be sights. fun to shoot that far, but I, I don't. If I want to shoot that far, I go get my MOA rifle and I shoot that far. You know, it's like well, I, you know, I learned from Cameron. Cameron does all of his hunting with bows and arrows. Yep. And Cameron Haynes uh, never heard of him. Uses a spot hog. Who? Never heard of her. Cameron that, Haynes? You keep doing that Is same joke. You're going to have to let that go. We're almost done here. <laughs> That's like my joke. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you use a multi-pin sight? Yeah. Do you? I do. Yeah. For the longest time, I just used a single pin sight. But once I started really filming my bow hunts real heavily, it just became too much to have to adjust the, the pin. Mm-hmm. So I just went to the multiple pin sights again so that I don't have any adjustment on the bow. I can focus on adjusting the camera. When you said that you just sighted in the animal, you didn't even sight it in. You just just looked at it and you just took a, a an, an estimate. Mm-hmm. Is that something that just comes over time? Like you look at something, and go, that's about thirty yards. Until I was twenty five years old, I didn't use sights. It was all instinctive. So every every time I would shoot a bow, it was fingers and it was bare bow instinctive. Even though it was compound, everything was instinctive. And so I think it just ingrains into you if you're a traditional shooter, or whatever. When you draw back. You're like your body, just like shooting a pistol, you know, your body automatically gets into that position. And more times than not, if you'll, if you'll draw back and get in that position and then look at your pins, you're there. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, if, if you, you've done it a lot and you're conditioned to that. And I think that's where your instincts kind of take over. And in those cases, I drew back and, I, and I, you just look at your pin, verify, bam, you know, and you go. So you're still aiming, but because you're not thinking about it. It's happening so much quicker. They say that that's, you know, what some of the sharpshooters, that's why they're so good is because it's just all instinctive with pistols or anything else. They're not aiming. They're just shooting. There's a lot of practice involved in bow hunting too, right? I, I've had a bow. I started bow hunting as 12, 13 years old. You know, I have had, have had a bow in my hand my entire life, basically, um, just because of my upbringing. I'd go out to do chores. You grab your bow off the freezer. You walk out, fling a couple arrows at the carpet target that we had taped onto the haystack. Then you go milk the cows. You walk out. You pull your arrows. You do it again. It's, it was lifestyle. It's, it's life for me growing up that way. I shoot less now just because of the busyness of life and the other other responsibilities I have, but it's still it's still part of it. And it's natural. So for a guy picking it up, for you to go out and, and be able to experience that instinctive anchoring and everything is just dialed, it's gonna come over time. You know, and there'll be times where you might go out next week and you're like, Man, I know what he's talking about. That feels good. And then the next day you're gonna be like, What the hell am I doing wrong? This just yeah. isn't working. And yeah. that's archery. That's that's the nature of your bow. Your 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 wrist is going to tweak. Things are going to change from day to day. So don't feel like you have to adjust your bow every time you go out and shoot. Just be like, yep, today I was pulling them left. You know, today I'm dropping them out. No big deal. Tomorrow will be a different. You know, 
Well, that's the cool thing about archery is how difficult it is. It's so it's so involved that it sort of takes away all the other things in your life away. It takes away all the other things you were thinking about, all the other distractions in your mind. You're so concentrating on putting that pin, holding it steady, making sure you release, no no added movement, no no twitching, no pulling. And it's I find it like almost like a meditative in that way. No. That when I do it, I it cleans my mind out. I love doing it at the end of the day. I have a busy day. Right. I go out in my yard. I you know pull out some targets and and start shooting. And I feel like it, it's a nice stress reliever too. Even yeah. if people never want to hunt, I recommend uh, do oh, just yeah. doing archery just for fun. And get a bow and do it instinctively. You should get a recurve or get a bare bow and just go out and just do it close, you know, 10, 10 feet and just get that feeling of just release. Do you think that helps your It helps. It'll archery? help your, I, I believe so, because I grew up that. I mean, that's that's how I did it. And, and, you know, to this day, I think it's made me a better shooter in a hunting situation. It's tricky to hunt with a bow because more animals get wounded and escape bow hunting than probably any other style. I think? don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the statistics. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of deer get hammered by a rifle too and walk away. It's hard. I'm to, sure it's hard to say. There's just that many more rifle hunters out there. Bows are tough because hemorrhaging is lethal. You know, hemorrhaging is. I mean, you can shoot. I shot a bear in the ankle one time. You know, in the wrist, bled out within 80 yards. You know, hemorrhaging is super lethal. Whereas a bullet doesn't necessarily have to give you hemorrhaging. It can right. give you puncture and impact and, and shock and trauma, but it doesn't necessarily hemorrhage. Not the same way because of the heat and the, everything yeah, gets cauterized. and Yeah, it could, could be. So I don't know. I, I can't can't say for sure. Yeah, I just think, had a, I felt I had a massive responsibility to put in a lot of practice before I ever yep. went bow hunting. Yep. And I mean, it was, I, put, I, fu- I fucked my shoulder up because I was shooting 150 hours arrows a day. Well, don't pull the Cameron Cameron Haynes, is it? Don't pull the Cameron Haynes and shoot a 90-pound bow. Shoot a 70-pound bow. All you need is 70. <laughs> is that all you need? I had a all 70. All you need is 40, 45, I, you know? Re, but do you? Because what if you hit a bone and then the animal runs away? Cameron has this this philosophy about path. Well, he's Cameron an interesting ha- he guy. He has his philosophy, you know, and yeah. that's great. And it works for him. Sweet. and I, uh, yeah, it's Ted awesome. Nugent has the 45-pound philosophy. He's got whatever he's got. Ted Nugent's got his. What do you shoot, a 70? I shoot mine at like 63 pounds or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong guy. I can pull 70, 80 pounds, sure. But, but you choose to do the other one yeah. just because it's more convenient? I'm more accurate. I found accurate. that with my arrows and my broadheads and my setup, I, I take my bow and I max it at 70 pounds. And as I'm sighting in and, and, and f- tuning my bow, paper tuning or whatever, I back it off a quarter turn at a time, my limbs. So you're taking the weight down. Mm-hmm. And I found that that 63 to 65 range for me and my setup, I'm getting bullets. Just yeah, Cameron's like does all this crazy workouts just so he could pull it effortlessly. Yeah, it's awesome. But he's into like shooting water buffaloes yeah. and shit and oh, yeah. well, getting yeah. passed throughs on giant <clears throat> elks. You know, that's his whole deal. Uh, listen, man, we're out of time. Sweet. That was three hours. That's good because I got to take a leak. I bet really. you do. <laughs> Go take it. You had a great, this is great, man. Solar Hunter, Solo Hunter TV on Twitter. What's your Instagram? At Solo Hunter TV on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Everything, the whole deal. Yep. Tim Burnett. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you, that was man. Fun. Appreciate it. Was it was really awesome. enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and watch the show. It's on the Outdoor Channel. It's called Solo Hunter. It's one of my favorite hunting shows. It's it's a really enjoyable show. Even if you don't like hunting, it's very very, very well done. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to DraftKings.com. Go to DraftKings.com. Enter in the promo code Rogan to play for free and become a millionaire for real. Um, go to the website, check it out. You you're, you'll, you will be blown away. It's amazing how much money you can make with fantasy football these days. Um, what else do we have today? Ting? 
Ting. Thanks to Ting. Go to rogan.ting.com uh, and save 25 bucks off of any Ting device. And thanks, of course, to onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T and, and take part in human optimization. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. We will be back, ladies and gentlemen, next week. I got Rupert Sheldrake, Graham Hancock, and others. Until then, enjoy your weekend. See you at the Ice House. And uh, big kiss. Mm-hmm.